Hola. Hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. And this is business school, so I mean, I'm surprised this professor brought it up. But one of the last articles we read was um, about should African Americans. <coughs> paid reparations for mm. slavery, mm. right? And so we had a huge conversation around that. And of course, there were mixed views. That there's, you know, out of seventy-five people that were in my cohort, there were like eight of us that were black, African American mm. descent. So, uh, you know, a decent number, right? But uh, the views around it, right? Like, obviously, African Americans, black people feel one way because we have a lived reality, right? right? And we understand what it is to be black. Right. Whereas white privileged people that never think about these issues, right? I'm not saying they have to think about them, but they just come at them for, from a different area. Where, right. You know, well, they're just like, well, that happened so long ago. Things are much better now, etc. Yeah. Like, they don't see the... The system. we have to go through to get to this point. Right. And, like, how, if we're at this point now, can we look back and say, well... These things were wrong then, and we should. There should be some sort of reparation, reparations paid, right? right. But then it's like, where do you begin that, that mm-hmm. conversation, right? Because that's like a, you can get so deep, right? Who's going to pay it out? Mm-hmm. Who gets paid? What areas? What land gets given back, right? Like all these things, right? So it was an interesting conversation, but I mean, to see the black crossed out, and then it says all lives matter. It made me think, like, because of course I understand Black Lives Matter movement, but I don't think in terms of like. Black Lives Matter. I think, like, all lives matter. You just have to pay attention to the issues that are important. Right. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Yeah. And um, Because to say that Black Lives Matter, it's like a lot of times I say to myself, you know what, I'm not saying, obviously I know that we're marginalized more than white people, right? But it's not like white people don't matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like just because I'm, you, you want to side with, you know, or just because you're fighting for one cause doesn't mean that you're going against you know. But I think the I think All Lives Matter was the response to Black Lives Matter. And the reason Black Lives Matter started was because of the police brutality and, and black lives lost. So it's like, okay, like black black people matter, like stop killing us unjustly, right? But then All Lives Matter comes in and tries to hijack the narrative and that's what the problem is, is like the intention behind it. Because obviously all lives matter right. it, it makes sense, right? But the intention behind all lives matter. Correct. Which is the I response? Agree. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, I'm saying from a oh yeah from a logical of course of course of course yeah you know but like from a logical standpoint you know it, you know this constitution says you know all men were created equal right or all men should should have equal rights and we all know that wasn't the case when this constitution was was ratified right so on its face everything everything makes sense but. You know, hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Well, okay. When this happened, slavery still existed. Right. You know, I love this quote from James Baldwin. American history is longer, larger, more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. James Baldwin, right? So it's just acknowledging the complicated history of this country. Um, You know, because... 
you know, I, I really do think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like it's, Absolutely. it's somewhere in the middle, maybe leaning more towards, you know, more towards like, we not being the greatest country in the world, in my eyes. Um, but, but still somewhere in the middle, you know, this notion of, of nationalism has, a. Uh, has discouraged the education of the average American citizen to think in terms of tribalism as opposed to like globalism, as opposed to like just being a human trying to figure this shit out out here. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a block mentality. So if the truth lies somewhere in the middle yeah. and you don't think that America is the greatest country, yeah. right? What country would you consider the greatest country? Just, and then once again, I'm not saying it's the best, like everything is perfect. Right. If you look at a nation, what nation would you look at and say, oh, you know what? This would be kind of representative of maybe the best nation. That's a good question because there's so many factors that come into um, a nation being great, right? Uh, one of the factors is uh, mobility, right? Like what's what country has a really good rate of mobility, right? where people from the bottom can actually achieve financial success and move up the economic ladder. Um, I think, you know, the studies show, you know, and I don't have them in front of me, but that we are 12 or 13 or last place out of the 13 richest democracies in the world when it comes to mobility. You know, some people say, well, you know, other countries don't have, you know, the issues that we deal with. We have race as an issue, right? Well, okay, so that, that goes against America being great or, or you're making up an excuse here. And so, once again, so that was going to be my only thing, is that any country that you name on the list of, like, okay, you can move from the bottom to the top, yeah. they suffer from, like, classism, you know, issues, and then there's no racial dynamics, right? Like, there's no right. other country in the world where it's like, okay, there are, you know, people of Middle Eastern descent, Latino descent, African American descent, every nationality in the same place, so that I think the race factor yeah. plays, like, you know, the biggest... If not, it's one of the biggest issues in our country, just dealing with those dynamics, you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, you know, so I would, you know, I would think that, I would imagine that if a, if, if a country was that great, they would understand how to deal with that dynamic. And reality is, this country hasn't fully accepted um, the past wrongs and, uh, and the continuing ramifications of what occurred uh, since slavery with the Jim Crow laws, like, you know... You know, and I don't think we're there. You know, I think, you know, even white folks, so many white folks were surprised that the George Floyd situations was happening or or that, uh, you know, rich folks were paying to send their kids to Harvard. Like, uh, yeah, like this is what's happening. But 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 the problem is that, you know, sometimes you get too caught up in your own privilege that you don't understand that maybe your merit should be questioned. Maybe it, it wasn't because of your hard work, but more because you were born into a family that could afford to give you a private education and allow you to succeed, right? So it's just, I feel like we need to have like that personal reckoning as a nation. And I don't think we're there yet. And even when you think about that though, right? Like the people who were paying for their kids to go to school, like they, they have the money to pay for their private education and they couldn't even get into school on their own, right? So right. it's like, how are they raising them? Like, what kind of actual education were they getting if, like, you have all the resources to get into Harvard on your own, but you still have to pay to get in? Right. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, well, yeah, yeah. What are you doing there, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and the percentage of, of folks that actually do get into these Ivy League schools, like, um, I was reading this article, man, 
I think it was a New York Times article, and it spoke about that approximately 50% or more of the students in these Ivy League schools co come from the top uh, 20 to top 10%, you know, when it comes to income in this country. Um, again. That's why the endowment is so large. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, you know, people don't talk about that. People like to, you know, talk about affirmative action a lot. But, you know, what about, you know, these alumni that, you know, continue sending money to these schools and, you know, in return, they get their kids accepted into these schools. People don't talk about that. That's money working for you. That's not based on your own merit. Some people would argue, well, you know, a person can afford to do that. A per you know, that's an investment. And, you know, there is some merit to that. But there's no merit to that child, to that student. You know, and still, I don't, I don't accept that. I don't accept that argument that because I make more money, therefore, I'm more worthy. Sometimes, you know, what, how much you make depends on the market. It's true. You know, like if you were a guru back in the day, you probably could have been supported very well, you know, with, uh, you know, by the community, by, you know, people would give you money, people would praise you. You know, if you were this person, this philosopher, right, this, this, this conveyor of, of knowledge, right? But now, you know, those type of people don't really make money unless... You have to market it. You, yeah, you have to market it, right? You know, we, we reward the Judge Judy's and, you know, we pay her, you know, what what is it? Uh, 25 million, 25 to 40 million a year or some shit like that. But yet, you know, these, uh, these United States Supreme Court justices are getting paid, what, like below $300,000 a year? You know, and they're and they're creating laws. They're interpreting laws that are affecting millions. It's 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 the market, you know. So I don't necessarily think how much money you make, you know, is based on your own merit. Sometimes it's based on the market forces. It's based on the market forces. It's based on luck. It's based on perception. Yeah. Right. A lot of I think a lot of people's income nowadays, with you know social media being big and and you know just technology being more like the world is more connected than ever. Right. It's more about just perception. Right? Mm -hmm. Like if you your if your perceived knowledge is greater than like, you know, there could be an expert in working out who has a master's degree in exercise science and knows your body inside and out, mm -hmm. how the muscle fibers run, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And he's just a student of the game. Mm -hmm. Like I actually have an education right. worth value, worth money, a master's degree from a, mm -hmm. an accredited institution, right? Yeah. Or I can look at Instagram and see this guy <laughs> with 2 million followers yep. that's jacked yeah. and whose exercise program am I going to go with, right? The guy who's charging me, you know, less money over here that mm -hmm. has this, ed who, who studied the body for two years right? or somebody who's just creating programs but because women like the way he looks yeah. and because he's popular on social media. And he may know some celebrities. And he knows celebrities. He goes to the right parties. Right. He has the right social media marketers. Right. This guy makes a lot more money. Yeah. A, a lot more money than the guy over here who doesn't really care about social media. Mm -hmm. I don't have to, what, what do I need social media for? Yeah. Yeah. It's a world and people make money off of it, right? But it's just like, it's the perceived knowledge that the guy on the right who has a massive following knows more. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a part of that. I, it must work. It has right. to. Right, right. Because that's what I believe. <laughs> cool. Apollo. Charlie. <laughs> Thank you for being here, brother. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. How's the family? The family's great. Woke up this morning, had my two sons jumping on me. Yeah. My lovely wife laying there. Beautiful. How old are they? Uh, Adonis just turned four 
October 7th. Mm. Maverick is about 18 months. Mm. Okay, okay. Look at that. Health-wise, obviously, we're, we're dealing with a, with a pandemic here. Everyone's okay? Everyone's great. I've been extremely fortunate. Uh, my wife gets to work from home now. She only goes in one day a week. Mm. And uh, none of my immediate family has had COVID. Great. And so we're just trying to take as many precautionary measures as we can. But I've been, I've been blessed in that area. That's what's up, man. Shout out to your brother, Keith. Keith. <laughs> How's he doing? He's doing well. Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh trying to think. I saw him not for a good occasion. We were actually celebrating celebrating someone's passing about two weeks ago, but we got together. He's doing amazing. Doing okay. Well. Okay. Well, remember the first time I met Keith, um, I think he was a court supervisor for a drug treatment program, doing amazing work, you know, getting the the help that people needed, uh, while also uh, you know, trying to convince the judge to keep them out of jail. You know, amazing, necessary work, what he was doing. Great guy, great personality. So, uh, again, shout out to Keith. Um, but, bro, you are one of the most hardworking people I know. Uh, self-motivated. You're a lieutenant, right? You know, you've been engaged in a lot of uh, competitions when it comes to bodybuilding, uh, getting your MBA, um, and also raising two young boys with your lovely wife. How do you find the time? Honestly, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I think I'm just extremely driven in my life to accomplish a lot of things. Uh, some people call it a type A personality. Mm. It's one of those things where I just, when I have a goal in my head and I think that it's possible that it can happen and I say to myself, I'm going to do this, I just find a way to do it. Um, and honestly, that's that's... That's really all it is. Like, like, are you good with time management? Because I'm not that great with time management. So if you tell me that you are, it would make me feel better because that means that, you know, if I improve, I can be able to also uh, compete <laughs> in a bodybuilding competition. I'm not that great with time management. Like, my, my wife helps me out a lot with certain things that need to get done mm. for me to be successful. Mm. That's 100%. And... Um, I think one of the biggest things that I live by now, especially after listening to David Goggins, I'm sure you probably read. You know what? I was going to ask you, man, because David Goggins has this like, uh, you know, no nonsense approach, like get it done. There's no if in your vocabulary. And um, and based on what I know of you, I feel like you also uh, follow that same philosophy. A hundred percent. So one of the biggest things is winning the morning. Right. He uses that term a lot. Win the morning. Mm. Because reality is. Right? If you look at the most successful people in the world, like what is a common trait they all have? They all wake up extremely early, whether it's 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Because if you wake up at 4 a.m. and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to exercise today, or I'm going to read, or I'm going to study, right? Mm. By the time 8 a.m. comes around, you've already done more than 80% of the world is going to do in that day. You've worked out, you've read, you've, you know, you had your breakfast, your, 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 you know, your blood is flowing well, your mind mm. is operating, like, very clear, right? Whereas if you wake up at 7 a.m. like everybody else, well, then you're just in the, the rat race, I call it. Right, right. Right, that like morning rush hour where everybody's just, everybody's, everybody's at the gym, everybody's, you know, it's, it's not a good place to operate. So, so let's say, okay, so let's say you wake up at 5 a.m. and... And I know there's there's lots of evidence of that on social media because you post your morning cardio fasted workouts <laughs> at five in the morning um, to let us know that you're you're out there and you're grinding. Um, but if you're waking up at four thirty to to make that happen, what time are you going to sleep? 
so honestly, I go to sleep around midnight, mm. 11 to 12. So I'm not a firm. A lot of people have this whole thing where you have to sleep like eight hours. I mean, if I'm lucky if I get five hours of sleep a night, you know? Interesting. I, you know, people are different. You know, I remember when I used to, uh, you know, I used to follow the dream team when Michael Jordan was on it, right? Uh, the original dream team. And uh, a lot of the players said the same thing about Jordan. They were like, this guy never sleeps. Like, he sleeps a few hours and he's ready to go. He has all the energy in the world. I really do think that people are built differently when it comes to sleep. Me, and I don't know if it's psychological, but if I don't get my seven hours of sleep, brother, like, I'm a different person. I'm a different person. And maybe there's other factors, uh, such as me not drinking enough water, uh, me not eating the right meals. Maybe that helps me um, or would help me. But, but yeah, man, like, I've tried the five-hour uh, sleep and I've, you know, maybe I can get away with it the first day, but if I do that over two days, forget about it, brother. Like I can barely say my name. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not ideal to get five hours of sleep, right? I don't want to get five hours of sleep, right, but right. I mean, between dealing with my family, my kids, and then just getting everything that I need to get ready for the next day. Right. Um, right. It just ends up being that. So at night it's like, you know, when I'm looking at the clock, it's, I know that I'm going to wake up at 5am. That's mm. a certainty because right. I'm going to, right. I have to start my day at that time to be successful. So at night it's just a matter of what time am I going to sleep? Mm. Based on that, I'll know how much I'm sleeping because no matter what, at five, I'm going to wake up. Interesting. Yeah, no, no, I get you. I get you. And I know, so you work out in the morning and then, you know, you have an important job. You're a lieutenant, right? At the New York Police Department. Shout out to that, you know, Brown brother out there making it happen. Are there, are there many like you out there? You know, I know the answer to that question, but I just want you to... <laughs> <laughs> the numbers are growing. I mean, that's true. The numbers are growing. Went from two to three? Yeah, you know, they're not growing at a fast rate, but they're okay. Out there. Okay, okay. Um, so let's talk about work. So, are you working in Manhattan now as a lieutenant, right? Yes, so I okay. work in headquarters in one police plaza. Okay, There's okay. It's called the uh, it's the Office of Management Analysis and Planning. It's kind of the think tank of the NYPD, where we do a lot of data analysis, um, mm. write policies, the patrol guide, which are all the orders and directives. Right. Oh yeah, I got my hands on. Is it around here? Is that the one, the procedural guide for police supervisors? Um, that's actually a study guide. That's a study guide, yeah. but I have that's, one. That's the patrol guide. That's the patrol guide. Right? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't uh, report me. <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to have it. But, um, but yeah. So how has, as a lieutenant, how has the last couple of months been for you? You know, with the protests, with uh, you know the incidents dealing with police brutality, um, you know, with the elections. So it's been a crazy time. For sure. But um, I've been in the department now for 12 years. And to the public, it may seem like a time of unrest. And, you know, it's definitely a, a, a pivotal point in, in history. Mm -hmm. But I mean, throughout my, my career, there have been lots of memorable moments where I feel under fire, I guess you would call it, right? When Hurricane Sandy happened, mm -hmm. I was barely sleeping, working, you know, nonstop. Um, you know, when Eric Gardner past we were working non-stop so i mean there's lots of moments in my career that i can look at and say okay i've been in the same sort of situation while i'm working right right so i think for me it's kind of one of those things when these incidents happen and, and things get hectic at work to kind of just stay level-headed because you know people are asking a lot of questions you don't want to say the wrong things because people are embedded in their in their facets you know everybody right. wants you know i'm black but I'm a police officer, so there's a whole 
dynamic there that I have to manage. People are like, well, well, do you side with cops first or do you side with black people first? I'm like, what kind of question is that? Like, right. These things aren't in a bucket, right? Like, everything mm-hmm. is very dynamic. It's like, it depends on the situation. It depends on the incident. It depends on, you know, right and wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? So right. I don't look at things like, oh, I don't side with cops. I don't side with African-Americans. I look at the situation and say, okay, well, what happened and what went wrong, right? right. You have to look at it objectively, not from your area of, I hate cops or right. I'm black. Right, right. Yeah, no, I get it. So. And um, so, but, so, so you would say, so would you say that this, this past year, it seems like you're level-headed, right? And I'm sure there's many reasons why you're like that. Maybe it's just your personality. Maybe it's because, you know, uh, you, you release all that stress at the gym, you know, because it does damn sure look like you spend a lot of time there. Is, there. is there something else that you do other than the gym to, like, keep you level-headed? You know, I know some folks do meditation. Uh, some folks read a lot. I know you read a lot, but, like, do you read to, like, escape? Honestly, the only place of escape that I have is the gym. Mm. I've literally used it as a sanctuary for... I don't know, a number of years now. When my father passed away, I, would, I started training for a competition because it's the only way that I could... I, it's the only way that I could accept the loss. Mm. I had no other out. So it's like, when I'm happy, I work out. When I'm extremely sad and depressed, I work out. When, you know, life is just okay, I work out. Mm. So it's like, the gym is always there for me in many different ways. It's just the way that I process things. Right, right. So that's interesting. I didn't know that, that um, you started... Uh, competing um, after your father passed? I didn't start competing then, but I, it was one of the one competition, my, the last competition that I prepped for before this, this recent one, mm-hmm. that was the reason I started preparing for it. Gotcha. I needed some place to be where I could clear my mind and just be, just accept the loss. You know, everybody goes through their grieving process and just toggling with the fact that the most important person, the most important man in my life wasn't mm. there anymore. Right, right, right. I get you. So when it comes to the gym, right, and obviously it's such an important part of, of the way you actually approach life, how were you when the, when the state shut down these gyms, man? Were you going crazy? <laughs> I mean, I was still working out. I had, I had access to a little room that had some weights and things like that. So, I mean, I was still... Was that because of the police department or...? No, no, it wasn't because of the police department. Oh, okay. But uh, a friend of mine... Oh, uh, okay, okay, so I was, okay. I was able to, you know, release my. my <laughs> you found a way. Yes. You found a way. Okay, and um, you know, as far as you being a lieutenant, like, what are the requirements for police officers to actually become that lieutenant? I know there's an exam involved. So, um, I mean, in order to become a lieutenant, uh, there's two examinations you have to pass. First, you have to pass the sergeant's examination, and then the lieutenant examination. You have to be a sergeant for two years before you can get promoted to lieutenant. And the actual academic credentials you have to have are about, it's not a bachelor's degree, it's 96 credits. So those are the qualifications. But in terms of just a normal police career, I did rise in rank relatively quick. But I told my mother when I first became a police officer, because she didn't want me to become a cop. My mom Mm. is a retired NYPD detective. Mm. She wanted me to do something else. And when I graduated college, I was going to go, I did an internship with Fox News in their sports media section. Mm. And so I thought I was going to be an anchor. But then uh, I just didn't like the work at the time. And so when I went into law enforcement, I, I remember telling my mother specifically, Mom, listen, I promise you that I'm, I'm going to do more than you and Dad did as a police officer. Not to say that I'm better than them in any way, but just that each generation should be better than the previous. Right. right? 
And so I stuck to that. And literally, the you know, when I had three years on, the first sergeant's exam was announced. I would be at NYU day in and day out studying for it. I was lucky to score high. I was promoted at year six. The, my first day as a sergeant in a new preset was the first day that I took the lieutenant's class because it was just announced. Mm. So then I grinded then, studied for six months. It was the hardest test probably ever given in NYPD history. Really? Only, I can't remember the exact number, but it was only 4% of the people passed the initial test. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then they filed a bunch of lawsuits, the people who failed. Right. And, uh, you know, they got a bunch of questions thrown out and things like that. And so the list increased substantially from about 100 and I think it was 20 people. So then it jumped over like 330 once they threw out a couple of questions based on lawsuits and things like that. But uh, Really? So what was the claim? Like, why Why were there, what was their grievance? That the questions were... Too difficult. What? Okay, you know, okay. It was too difficult or that, you know, they try to find little nuances about, you know... Two answers could have been right. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Not specifically worded or not specifically stated a certain way, so... Right, right. You know, 4% passing rate is... Uh, you know, enough for a concern, Correct. you know, if, if I was no, the one. I agree. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not agreeing that they did. That no, they no. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying on my end, it's like when you're on the winning side of things, right. you're just like, oh, come on, like, hurry up. I want to get this over with because it delayed the promotion. Really? For about a year. I mean, while Interesting. Were, you know, going through the lawsuits. Interesting. So how, how harder or what was the difference between the sergeant exam and the lieutenant exam? So honestly, it's, you know, there's a, a team of, people that from the Department of Citywide Administrative Services that create these exams and they use, you know, actual uniform members of the service to create the exams. Mm. So it's just based on some exams are easier than others. Interesting. Like, I don't even know how to word it. Like, you know, one sergeant's exam could be relatively straightforward and the next one could be extremely complicated. Like you just don't know what kind of exam you're gonna you're gonna get. Interesting. And is it like a full day thing? Uh, the exam's about six hours. Okay. You do have to study for about six months. If you're gonna if you're gonna pass these exams, I mean, you do have to read through, and have a very good knowledge of the patrol guide in order to succeed. Right, and you know, and it's not just you six months studying and not doing anything else. Obviously, you're also working, working right? So you have to do that mm-hmm. after the fact. Not that I regret, but I think if I would have done it over again, I think it would have been a lot easier for me to go straight to law school after undergrad, because when once I started working. And, you know, that nine to five. And then after that very tough nine to five to, like, go to the nearest Kaplan and sit down for another three to four hours to, like, you know, do exams or, or, or go over the questions, it was just too much. Like, at some point, you know, I think it was my my time frame was about maybe 9 p.m. I stopped processing it. It's incredibly difficult when you have a job and you're also studying for those types of exams, man. So shout out to you and shout out to others. That it's, it's funny you mention that right now because, so this is another thing about my, my mindset that that I, I live by also. So there's never a perfect time to do anything, mm. right? Like everybody, hindsight is twenty twenty. When you look back, people are like, oh, well, if I would have done this then, I'd be more successful. If I would have, you know, went to school back then, then maybe this, right? It's like you have to look at where you are in life presently and look at where you want to go, right? right? Because if you just look back and say, well, if this would have, if this, then that, my life would have been better. Well, then it's almost like you're, you're just 
thinking about a situation that's not realistic. Right. right. And that's a fair point. That's a fair point because I'm also saying that in a vacuum, right? Because there was a lot of experience that I that helped me with law school because I didn't go to law school right away. Correct. I totally agree with you. I'm kind of just like take where you are right now and move forward. Like if, if you had to work nine to five and you still went to law school, I mean, you're amazing, amazingly successful right now. Would you be in the same position if you didn't have to do that grind, right? That grind creates for sure. certain characteristics in you that you might have not had. For had sure. You had it easier. For sure, right? for sure, yeah. It's the grind that builds that muscle, that discipline. You know, um, you know, you and I both pledged an organization, Fraternity Incorporated. Right? You know, th- those uh, you know, uh, the requirements, you know, I'm gonna just call them requirements. Um uh, for you to get into the organization um, at times were, were pretty difficult, right? Um, and especially at a time where I wasn't used to that, um, you know, whether it was mandatory study hours. I'm not sure if that's considered hazing or not. Uh, but at the time, you know, you know, you had mandatory study hours or whatever. And it was things like that that made me, um, no matter how uncomfortable they were, uh, built discipline. And, you know, there was one thing, one line that I always remember from the pledge process, which was uh, pain is temporary, pride is forever, you know, or excuses are the nails that build the house of failure. And um, and that came from, you know, an, a very uncomfortable process <laughs> that um, I'm proud to, to, to have finished. But um, okay, so Going back to you being a, a lieutenant, um, you know, you and I, we were talking about this before, in which um, I was telling you that the city over the years, many would argue, has become more progressive, you know, and you see that through the laws that have been passed, whether it's uh, the criminal justice reform laws, um, you know, this call, this this recent call for defunding the police. Um, we continue to be a blue state you know, not overwhelmingly a blue state, but when we focus on New York City, uh, we continue to be a, an overwhelmingly blue blue city, largely voting Democratic. Why do you think that the culture of the NYPD doesn't reflect that same trend? Okay, I don't want to get too political here, but I think, honestly, it's the uh, leadership. I think everything in the NYPD, because it's a paramilitary organization, starts from the top down. Right, and so if your leadership is not reflective of the people you govern, there's always going to be a disconnect, right? And so, I mean, that's pretty much it, right? Like at, at the top, we're we're striving for more diversity now, and some people agree with it, some people don't. You know, they're they they are putting people of color in positions of power who deserve it, right? Right. Um, I don't want one thing that I don't want, even as a as a you know, I like to call myself a scholar. <laughs> But uh, I don't want people to be there who don't belong there just because they're black or brown, right? Mm. But put qualified people there because there are lots of them that exist. Right. Right? And I just think that if you have that diversity amongst the top ranks of the department that actually have a say in what's going on, right? then things will begin to change. But once again, city government, it's not going to happen overnight. Right. I mean, I think it's a, it's a slow process. I think we're better than where we used to be. Right. But I mean, there's still a lot of change that needs to happen. Yeah, that was uh, that was going to be my next question, whether you thought it was because of the military backgrounds of many of the officers uh, that that kind of like, you know, gives them a certain allegiance to the way that they vote, the way that they view, um, you know, government, an emphasis of law enforcement being for the greater good. 
as opposed to, you know, there being a focus on social programs or uh, giving people uh, the right to like figure it out on themselves or, or, or leniency for, for certain citations or violations of the law um, through an holistic view, the income discrepancies of race, of systematic racism. You know, so obviously that's a very... Comment on that though. So I hold law enforcement dear to my heart because both my parents are retired law enforcement right. officers, right? Like my father, you know, I grew up with my father coming home and telling me about stories of things that would go on. And so I always wanted to be a cop. But when mm -hmm. I saw, you know, bad boys in like 1996, I was like, well, I'm going to be just like Will Smith. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, getting onto the force. Mike Larry. Mike Larry. Yeah, literally, <laughs> I, I try to emulate that a little bit. I don't know if I'm too successful. But um, <laughs> so I hold law enforcement dear to my heart in that regard. Right. Um, the thing about law enforcement is that when you work with people day in and day out, and, you know, there's two sides of the fence here, two sides of the story. So I'm sure. When yeah. you work with people day in and day out and you actually go through, you know, near life and death events together and, you know, you have each other's back and you, you talk all day long and these people, you know, you, when you're sitting in a car with somebody else for, you know, six, seven, 16 hours a day, possibly sometimes, right, you, you develop this bond. And so that's where this whole idea of, like, the blue family comes from, right? And so people conflate the blue family with their own personal values in the sense that like okay well even if i feel this way about politics or even if i'm black or asian or whatever the case is it's like if an officer does something wrong you know they automatically it's like well no i know this person and so because they have that family-like mentality mm. like oh like you know i'm going to defend them as my own that's what happens in policing a lot right they just that's why they call it a blue family Right. right. It's like all oh, the blue wall of silence, all these things. Right. Because it's just one of those things where like the bond forms where it's like you're going to back people no matter what. Right. Right. Which is not necessarily right. Of obviously. course, because it, it compromises accountability. And that's where right. the tension comes from when it comes to the inner cities, these underserved communities that are being highly affected by over patrolling and um, and violence on, the, you know, from the hands of the police. Right. It's like that's where the tension lies. It's like, OK, like. If I commit a crime, I'm going to be held accountable as a black and brown man. I'm going to go to jail, you know, if especially if it's a, you know, violent offense. The same thing cannot be said if the aggressor or the offender is is a police officer. So it's almost like, OK, this is not right. And what what are you what is the police department doing to rectify this? And, um, I, you know, the tension, we could go back and forth, but the tension lies on the fact that many, including myself, think that the New York Police Department isn't doing enough uh, to, uh, to, to hold police officers that are not doing the right thing accountable. Because there are so many police officers that I know that are doing, you know, I think they're doing the right thing because I, I know them and to me they're good people, right? And I also know you know, their philosophy when it comes to life. And I just can't imagine them, you know, doing something uh, that would go against, uh, you know, some of their moral principles, right, which I'm aligned with. But then again, you know, going back to your point, I'm not there. I'm not there in those situations where your life is at risk, right? And sometimes it's a lot easier to think that you can think rationally. To, to, to speak on that, it's like, I think that, it needs to start being treated more as an organization 
more rather than a family. Mm. And that's all I'm saying, right? It's like if, if officers do do things that are wrong, I believe that they should be held accountable. Mm. It's one of those things where the department needs to be a little bit more transparent. And I've always I've voiced this part openly because they're not transparent amongst their own officers when decisions are being made. And so the family mentality is there if, you know, when it needs to be in terms of like life and death situations. But if officers do do wrong things, it's like they need to be held accountable because we can't be. That's where the disconnect comes in with society. Right. And it's like, OK, we're, we're here to do a reason. But if somebody's not doing the, what they're supposed to do, well, then they need to be held accountable because then there's no trust. Right. If that trust can be developed between police and the community, well, then we're always going to have this civil discourse that, you know, constantly back and forth and back and forth and, you know, people hating police and things of that nature. Yeah. Right. It's kind yeah. of, I don't know. This is such a difficult topic. Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying once again, being a African-American Right. And a police officer, it's one of those things where people ask me, which where do I side or where do I stand? And like I said before, nothing's in a vacuum. Right. Like it depends on the situation. It depends on the incident. And, you know, I'm a black man first. Right. When I'm not a police officer, I will still be a black man. So I'm objectively speaking, I'm a black man before anything. Right. Right. But uh, I do hold law enforcement dear to my heart once again. And I value law enforcement. And there is a dire need for it in this city because of the level of violence and things that occur that people don't see, right? Of course, we look at the notable incidents, the George Floyds, the Eric Gardners. We look at those incidents and we want to use them for a just cause, and rightfully so. On the other side of the fence, there, there is a lot of violence occurring and lots of murders and lots of things that do need to be addressed. Right. And so what happens is that, you know, when the city as a whole starts attacking police and police feel like, the city doesn't have their back, well, then what happens? What society doesn't want to happen because there is still this large level of violence going on. But then if police say, well, if you're going to attack me for everything, once again, this is what happens, groupthink, right? And it just spreads like wildfire. Well, then you have cops out there that will just, okay, I'm going to go to work and I'm not going to do anything. Mm. Because if I do something, I'm going to get in trouble. Right. I'm going to so be held liable for it. I'm going to be held liable for it. And so you don't want, you know, once again, we're still getting paid. You don't want the, you don't want us out there not doing our job. You don't want police officers out there saying, you know what? No, I, I, I can't do my job because, you know, my family's going to be at risk of not, you know, I'm going to get fired or I'm going to have a lawsuit or I'm going to be in the paper, right? When this large level of crime is still occurring. So once again, these issues have to be addressed independently. And what people try to do is put them together. You know, everybody says, oh, well, you know, they start using black-on-black crime as, like, a justification for things happening. Like, no, 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 no. Black-on-black crime is a socioeconomic issue that the government needs to start dealing with right. and realize that this is from, once again, years of slavery and, you know, black and brown people not having access to education and jobs. And this is why this type of community exists, right? So deal with this issue independently of, you know, a very bad cop who did a real bad thing and yeah, you know, that guy had his back turned and he shot him, right? Like that there's no reason for that. You understand what I'm saying? Like so of course you, you can't just put the two issues together and start, right. you know. Everything is independent and the, the the situation is so dynamic that there's not one answer for it, but we have to think about it in a way where it's like, okay, nothing's gonna be a hundred percent, but how can we get to a place where we're ninety percent and and you know, things are happening as they're supposed to. Right. So that's kinda these are things that we have to attack separately 
understanding that, okay, officers may be afraid to go forward and do their job if they're always being held liable for something um, or, or they're being overly scrutinized, right? Um, you know, just focusing on that, because I also agree with your uh, socioeconomic perspective when it comes to black-on-black crime. As far as law enforcement is concerned, I think what needs to happen is that there has to be better training um, to avoid, and, and that the city, the people have to be insured or uh, the, the, the city needs to be informed of what's happening in the police departments, how police officers are getting better, you know, um, that there is an interest for the police department to get better so that the people can start trusting the New York Police Department uh, more than what they do now. Um, obviously, the effects of better training would be less incidents for there to be protests, you know, about. But you're right. All of those things do not exist in a vacuum. Um, and I just hope as we move towards progressive society, um, but but yeah. So, but, you know, going back to you being in the department, so now... Your father, growing up, your father was in the department. Your mother was a detective. Um, My sister is also a police officer. Your sister is also a police officer. Wow. Would you, would you say your family had a large effect, influence on you as to why you decided to go into the department? Was there something else? 100% of the reason why I'm on the department is because of my family. Mm. So my father was the most influential person in my life, as I'm sure a lot of people's dad was. Um, and, you know, I look at my father when I think back to the memories of him, I, I think he was re- very strict, a very strict person. And so I remember when I was younger, I used to, sometimes I used to hate him. Like, man, I can't stay out past, you know, one o'clock and I'm almost in college, you know, mm. things of that nature. Uh, but when I look back now and I think about like the danger out there and the discipline that I learned from him doing that and that he was just looking out for me and making sure that you know, I had structure, right? I feel like a lot of people nowadays in this, in, in our society don't have structure. Mm. And so I feel like I'm a better person for it. Mm. And so a lot, the, the main reason why I pursued law enforcement was 100% because of my family. What do you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Honestly, the most rewarding part of my job is the ability to interact with the community. Mm. That really was. So I started in Times Square and in the Manhattan area, uh, Midtown. And um, the conversations that I had with people, helping people, you know, being able to see different situations, interact with different cultures. Right. It really just opened my eyes to just life in general, right? Like, who sits in the middle of Midtown Manhattan every day outside, seeing, like, the bad that goes on, the good that goes on. Everybody thinks, like, Midtown Manhattan is just this peachy, business-oriented place, right? But there's fights that go on all the time. You know, people committing grand larcenies with credit card theft and white collar crimes and you know things that go on behind the scenes that you would never expect you know elmo is a sex offender but people are taking pictures with him you know Mm -hmm. i think you should probably take your four-year-old kid away from that guy you know it's but people don't know that right like it's crazy stuff you're just like whoa this is this is insane wow wow (laughs) knowing you know knowing that you know these these things that that pretty much you would say uh, makes it quite interesting to be a police officer, to be a lieutenant. Would you encourage your sons to be police officers, to follow your footsteps, especially in this climate? To be honest, answer? No. Okay. No. 
And if they were to tell you, I want to be in the police department, what would you say? I would support them. Okay. Because the reality is, is that everybody has their own path. Mm. Just like my mother didn't want me to become a police officer, I decided it was what was going to be best for me at the moment. Right. And so I'm not anti-police by any nature. I just feel like I would like my sons to explore the world and just do something different with their lives. Right, right. And also not be exposed to potential violence and, you know. That's the main thing for a parent. Make sure, you know, not having to worry if their kid is going to get harmed. I've been very fortunate in my career to work in areas that aren't that high in crime. Mm. So, of course, I've been in life and death situations and things of that nature. But, I mean, I've worked in Manhattan my whole career. Whereas you could say an officer who worked in, you know, Brooklyn or the Bronx, they've been in much more or many more heightened situations where their lives could be at, at risk and things like that. So so are you telling me that the NYP, they're sending uh, these skinny dudes to these uh, high crime areas and they're leaving these diesel dudes to patrol? Yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> listen, the, the muscles are all show and tell. I sit in office all day. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious, man. Apollo, one of the many things I admire about you is that despite... Uh, the demands placed on your job, uh, you still have managed to further your education while you've been in the force. Uh, talk to me about your academic accomplishments. Uh, so I have a master's in public administration from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. I'm sorry, what's Harvard? Harvard University. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, just some school in Boston. <laughs> uh, and I also just wrapped up my master's in business administration from Northwestern University, the Kellogg School of Management. My guy. Last night, we actually submitted our, my group submitted our capstone project, so. Look at that. Congratulations, brother. That's why I got you a little champagne bottle, man. Whenever you're ready, we can just pop it. Uh, In in a few minutes. Okay, okay. (laughs) So, congratulations. So, that happened, um, that happened yesterday. That happened yesterday. We submitted it yesterday. So, I graduate technically December 13th as a ceremony via Zoom, but I'm done with the work. And the fact that you've been able to do that while... Uh, still working, right? But I think when you went to Harvard, you had gone to Harvard. Yes, I was on a paid leave of absence. From okay. Work. So the department was still paying me, and I was able to stay in Cambridge attending the university full-time. Look at that. How was that experience in Harvard? Were their libraries immaculate the way I imagined them to be? To be honest with you, the main library is just as awesome as you would envision. Really? Like I used to go to the... So the Kennedy School is one of... 12 Harvard schools. And so there was a library there, but I used to go to the main campus library because it was so pristine. Mm. So it's like when you, when you sit in there and study, it's almost like you feel like you have to get smarter. Of course. And that years of scholars behind you, like work there to come up with all sorts of amazing things for the world. Right. Right. Um, but so in terms of that, the authentic vintage, like scholarly feel, it definitely, you know, it made it, it met all those requirements. <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. Yeah, and were the vibes uh, inclusive? Would you describe them as, as the school itself, like receiving you well, the students receiving you well, the staff receiving you well? The answer to that one is no. Really? Yeah. So, once again, I was, I've been in New York my whole life. I grew up here. And... I've been in law enforcement for, I was in law enforcement for nine years before I went to Harvard. And so it was my first time to be able to just step out of the world that I know, law enforcement and New York, and actually live in another city, right? And so Cambridge is not diverse at all. Mm. And the population that goes there, right, is like the 
upper class, you know, you know the students that get accepted to Harvard, right? The ten percent of the of the country, right? Right. Um, and never in my life have I felt like more of a six three black guy. Mm. Like at nighttime, you would see that you know people would cross the street to get away from you and things of that nature, and it's like, whoa, you're scared, aren't you? You know, pretty funny. And um, a lot of the conversations that we had in school were around people who had never been around black people before. Mm. And so this whole idea of, you know, diversity and inclusion would always come up. And people would always ask me, you know, how do you feel about it? That there's only like 4% black people here, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd be like, well, what do you think I feel about it, right? Like, I'm here to learn. Right. Most of you people are looking at me like I'm some sort of experiment. Right. right? One girl literally came up to me in my dorm in, in graduate housing and asked me, do you go here? And I said, I looked to my left and to my right as I'm about to walk into my room. And I said, yes, I do. Like, in a sarcastic tone. It was an Asian girl. Not that that's a factor, but she was an Asian girl. Right. She had a little bit of an accent, so I don't know if she was an international student or whatever the case may be. And she's like, do you go here? I'm like, yes, I do. And she's like, wow, I've never seen a student like you here before. Mm. I was just like... You know what? And it was probably coming from an innocent place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was... I, I took it in for a second, almost like I wanted to be mad about it. Right. But I, when I looked at her, I said, wow, you're just so sheltered and so in another world that you don't even know that black people exist or, or you don't... Like, what is it you... Or a better question is, what do you think black people are like that they couldn't be in a situation like this or that they're not students here, right? Like, mm -hmm. why is it that she looked at me and thought thought of me as other? Like, right. hmm, you don't look like anybody else here, right? Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. Man. And, um, but you finished, you graduated. How was that feeling, graduated from Harvard? Uh, it was an amazing feeling, honestly. It was, it was bittersweet because I think with every great accomplishment in life, there's always something that kind of offsets it. And so my father passed away from prostate cancer. And uh, my condolences. I appreciate it. And so the few weeks before graduation, I was able to be home and have some conversations with him. But he was so sick that he couldn't make it to my graduation. So while it was, uh, I might get emotional now because I'll get to that story later. But while it was a, an amazing experience and I felt extremely accomplished, it was also one of those bittersweet moments where, like, wow, you know, my dad can't be here, so right. it's, it's kind of rough, you know. Right. Yeah. And and speaking speaking of your dad, was uh, education uh, valued in in your household growing up? To be honest with you, I mean, he made sure that I did my the minimum to get by. You know, like, and I you know, I struggled a little bit in high school. I went to summer school like twice for math. <laughs> um, my my parents made sure that I got my work done. And, you know, they wanted me to, to be successful, but, I mean, it wasn't overly... They didn't push me the way I'm going to push my kids, I know that. Mm, right, right. <laughs> but I'm thankful for the way that they raised me 100%. But I think it caught up because I think there was discipline right. and structure, and I think that's what helped you, you know, obviously study, you know, and study for an exam in order for you to get into Harvard. Yeah. Um, you know, I think discipline actually worked out, uh, works out, right? Because, uh, you know, me also in high school... Uh, I went to summer school for math. Um, I didn't quite have the discipline for, for math for whatever reason. And, um, you know, and I went to an all-boys school. But uh, it, it turned out to be not one of the worst experiences I've ever had because I found a loophole. 
And I was like, all right, like, I, you know, the world is giving me lemons. I should make lemonade. As soon as I found out that I had to go to summer school, I said, there's no way I'm going to be around a bunch of guys for another month and a half. Let me see if the school is going to allow me to take my summer classes at an all-girls school. And rest assured, I was the only male student <laughs> at Cathedral High School taking you, summer you classes. Figure out. Anybody figured out, you figured out. At that time, at that time, obviously I'm a different man now, right? I'm a different man now. But, um, but you didn't stop there. I didn't stop there. So when I was at Harvard, I cross-registered into the business school and uh, I took an entrepreneurial finance course with a professor named Stephen Rogers, who was one of two black professors at Harvard Business School, right? Mm-hmm. The number one business school in the nation. And so he taught a, a course that talked about black business entrepreneurs, right? It was like a you know revolutionizing course at, at Harvard. All the students from every school wanted to cross-register into it, the right. black students, because like, wow, there's a course for us now. It's like it, at Harvard, that's almost like non-existent. And so... Me and him had a lot of conversations, you know, out of class. And once he started to get to know me, learn my history, he's like, you know, you can do a lot of a lot of amazing things in life, like, you know, outside of law enforcement, right? There's a need for people of color like you, you know, who are, you know, well-spoken and can understand the business acumen to uh, take these positions of leadership in these major corporations, and you could do a lot of things. And so once we started having those conversations, I mean, the type of personality I have, like mm. my mind just started racing and I'm like, well, maybe this is the, you know, maybe this is the answer to life right now. Just mm. get a business administration degree, yeah. right? And so it's like, once again, if, if it's the right answer, if it's the wrong answer, I know objectively speaking, who cares if I have to take on a, you know, a student loan debt, et cetera, et cetera. Because when I think about my life, I don't think about like, you know, too many people worry about paying stuff back and things of that nature. It's like, if you believe in yourself and you know you're going to be successful, well, then you just go and you accomplish these things, right? You worry about other things later, right? Like, you believe in yourself. Right. The, the number one person who has to believe in you is you. Right. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go get a business degree, right? And so he taught at Kellogg for 17 years, and that's the reason why I applied to the Kellogg School of Management. Look at that. And how was, uh, how was doing business school? Like, were you traveling out there or? Yeah. So for the first years, it was the executive MBA program. And so every other weekend, I would have to fly to Chicago, and the campus is in Evanston, Illinois. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it was an amazing experience. The first year was incredible. The the 75 people in my cohort, the breadth of experience, CEOs at every level, um, was just truly amazing. It, it, it sucks that COVID made year two fully on Zoom, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful for the experience. Like, yeah. I learned a lot, made a lot of good connections, and the education was amazing right if i didn't know any better i would say you have plans uh for after you leave the force with all of this education that you've obtained i have a few plans i'm not going to talk about them now no 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 definitely an aspiring individual okay i know you're doing you know the the uh body uh building competitions talk to me about that man because uh it's super inspiring for me to see you despite this hectic schedule despite like i mentioned before you being a father of two kids uh, you know, educating yourself, you know, at the force, uh, you know, as a lieutenant, doing what you have to do um, to then want to compete on a professional level, right? Talk to me about that experience. So I want to sidebar real quick to back to the education portion because it ties into the, the fitness portion. And sure. So 
the two weeks that I spoke of before I graduated from Harvard, that I was home and I spoke to my dad, I was, it was like 3 a.m. I always write my, do my best work late at night, you know, we just, you know, when you get in the zone, when you're an academic, you know what I'm talking about, you get yeah. in the zone where it's like, oh no, now I can work right now, like, you stop BSing and you're actually focused. Right. And so, he couldn't walk at the time, so he had like a little scooter and he rolls by me, he just looks at me and gives me like a stupid grin. And I'm like, Dad, I'm like, I'm being honest right now. I'm like, I'm applying. I was writing my admissions essays to Kellogg. And so I'm like, Dad, I'm being a little crazy right now, right? Like, I'm about to take out a $200,000 loan to go to business school when I just got, I graduated from Harvard for free on a scholarship. Like, I think I could probably do whatever I want in my career with just this degree. And he's like, Apollo. This is literally what he told me. I'm not joking. He's like, Apollo. He's like, you've accomplished things in life that I could never Mm-hmm. even have imagined already, right? He's like, if you have it in your gut to keep going forward and get the education, then just do it. He's like, I'm not going to be able to be at your graduation next week at Harvard, right? And this is the part I get emotional about because this is why last night was so important to me. He's like, I'm not going to be able to be at your graduation next week, you know? But I'll be there in spirit. And when you graduate from Kellogg, I'll be there in spirit too. Mm. And so thinking of the fact that I actually finished last night, it was like one of those moments in life where I guess you miss the people you love the most that are gone during major events. You know what I'm saying? And so it's one of those things where I feel like super accomplished. I feel like it's one of those moments where all the discipline and all that, all, all those times he was strict with me and believed in me. It's like they're paying out. So I just sat there and thought about like life and my two boys and how I want to instill this same value in them mm-hmm. and just like all the amazing things that are that are set out for me. You know what I'm saying? Like life is is young, right? Like we're only as old as we think we are and everybody's timeline is different. So it's kind of just like, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter your positioning. It's like if you have the mindset that you're going to be successful, start. And that's why I say that consistency and discipline are the two biggest values that I have because that's what's going to make you be able to succeed in life. Mm. Being consistent and just moving forward. Yeah. All right. Ah, deep breath. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that, brother. Look, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, man, as a, you know, if me, if little old me, your fraternity brother is super proud of you. I could only imagine how proud your father is of you, you know, um, even though he's not here physically. Um, and I'm sure Keith, you know, Keith is always, you know, bragging about you, you know, shout out to your brother again. Um, so I'm sure, you know, your families feel equally as proud, if not more. And then, and then, you know, just to put yourself out there with what you're doing with the whole bodybuilding, like, you know, to me, that's amazing because now we're talking about, you know, health and we're talking about, you know, uh, sacrifice. Um, you know, was this something that you always wanted to do? Wanting to bodybuild? So believe it or not, you know, I don't, I'm not giving enough credit to my wife here because she deserves a lot of the credit when it comes to me bodybuilding. Mm. So I've always been into fitness. I've played football throughout high school, really? through college. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if you were playing sports as a teenager. Yeah, my dream was to go to the NFL, right? Mm. I played football through college at Albany. Um, great times. So I've always been into fitness. I was a personal trainer when I was younger. You know, always been in the gym. And when I first met Larissa, she was doing like P90X workouts and things like that. She wasn't into fitness at all. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, obviously when we were dating, I'm like, oh, let's come to the gym. Let's come to the gym. Hold up. Did you just totally shame everyone that's doing PX90 workout? Not totally into fitness. That was like a low blow. And he just like went through it. No, no, no. I'm just saying like that's, you know. Okay, all right. training. It's anybody who does anything fitness related, shout out to you. Right, right. But, uh, you know, she was doing her at-home workouts. Right. I'm like, no, 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 come on. We got to go to the gym. We got to go to the gym. And so she got in the gym, and she fell in love with the gym. She fell in love with the gym, and, you know, the, in a matter of six months, I remember we went to Costa Rica in January, and she fell in love with it so much that she said, you know, I'm going to compete. And mm-hmm. in those six months, I mean, she transformed her body like you wouldn't believe. And she competed six months later. She competed before I did. And I've been working out forever. And then she competed. Her first show ever, she won the entire show. What? She won her class, and she won the overall in bikini. And it was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, she just won the entire show. It, it was the one of the coolest days ever. And so then she went off to compete in a national competition. She competed in, like, two in Miami and another one in New Jersey. And she was killing it in super great shape, you know. And so I saw what it took to compete at that level. From your whole life, yeah. Yeah, who we were just dating at the time. I think we lived together at that point. No, we lived together at that point. But I'm saying, like, I was into fitness. I got her into it. And she just took off with it. Like, further than I ever, ever did. Right. And so that's when I got the motivation. I said, you know what? Let me look into this and see, like, you know, I need to get on stage to see what this is like, right? And so, you know. She motivated me. I just want to give a shout out to her. I don't want to like leave her out of this. Yeah. Because she's definitely a huge part of my entire equation. What you've been doing for the past couple of months in, in your training, um, you know, I'm sure she had to be able to support you in a way, you know, whether it's helping with the kids or, you know, anything related to the household. Because how many hours were you spending I mean, so at the gym? <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like, it's not, it's not kind of helped me. Like, she literally just took care of the house. Because I didn't have time to, I mean, I was just in and out, basically. I went home to sleep and turned around because I had to either train, do schoolwork, go to work, or train again. Right? So between her and my mother, who's there, you know, time to time, they completely held it down. Yeah, I, you know, I just don't know how someone uh, who, you know, is into bodybuilding, uh, who's into fitness the way that you are, would be able to, you know, pretty much survive in a household where your wife is side eyeing you every single time you start talking about the, you know, going to the gym because they don't, they themselves aren't, you know, uh, into fitness. Right. You so know, you had asked this question before, and I want to touch on it. But having a partner, especially if you're in a relationship, having a partner that understands fitness and is into fitness as well, is crucial to your success. Yeah, for sure. Or even they, at, at minimum, they have to understand it. And be willing to say, no, you're better in yourself, and I'm going to support this. Because I used to date someone in the past who wasn't that supportive. Mm-hmm. And I would literally lie. I have to stay at work late. Right. Because I wanted to go to the gym. gym. Right, right. It's like you're lying just because to go to you the want gym. to go to the gym. If you live in that life, if you live in that type of life, get out of it. Right. Like, don't right. be in that type of relationship because that is not... Right. Where you want to be in life, especially in a lifetime partner, right? Like you need somebody to be supportive. No, I'm trying to better myself. I need to live to 80 and be able to walk and play with our kids and whatnot, right? Or just be better for myself. Like, right, right. You know what I mean? So it's definitely crucial. Yeah. You know, there's one thing to have a supportive spouse, but also 
uh, and I'm not sure if you do this, but to work out with that spouse, you know, that can lead to some issues. You know, I've been in situations before where I've worked out with someone that I was dating and, you know, and the same, uh, you know, tone that I'm using on myself, right? Like, come on, get it done. You use that same tone with your significant other, it may not go so well. That's true as well. You have to meet people where they are, right? So the thing is, at minimum, they just have to be supportive of your goals and fitness ambitions. But when it comes to them, it depends on where they're at in their journey, how you can motivate them, right? Like you can't be a boot camp sergeant on someone who's just an entry level, you know, fitness enthusiast, right? Right, right. Whereas my wife, once again, like I told you, she's levels ahead of me. Mm. So if when me and her train together, which we do sometimes, it's harder now with the kids and our schedules. But when we train together, I mean, I could literally say anything I want. I'm not going to use profanity now. But right. I could use, I could talk to her however I want because she knows that she has more in her to give. Mm. Because she's at the same level I am where it's like, no, when I'm training, I'm training and I need to get better. But some people are willing to go further than others. Yeah. You know, you're very fortunate in that. Yeah. When do you really start getting into bodybuilding? Yeah, I think it was about uh, a year after she competed, or maybe the same year, because I know that my first competition was October 3rd. It was five years ago. October, it was October of 2015 was my first competition. Mm. So I got into bodybuilding right before that. And, uh, I mean, once you start working on yourself... As you get older, too, you have to train smarter, right? Like, I'm not 21. I can't just go in the gym and start lifting a million pounds without warming up. I'll get hurt. Yeah. And you find that when you're bodybuilding, if you do it the right way, it's like you can have a long... Longevity is important as well. Right. Right? So when you think about the type of training you do, I think about it for the long run, right? Some people who are into CrossFit and things like that, you have to be extremely athletic because launching a bar above your head and just being honest, rather doing power lifts and this all every day, all week for someone who sits in an office, has tight hips and things like that, right? It's very, you're very prone to injury, right? Right. Whereas bodybuilding, you can structure it a little bit more where, okay, you warm up. If you feel a little tweak, all right, let me slow down. Right. And right. Just, right. Yeah. And also too, we're, we're visual people, right? At the end of the day, you want to be healthy and you just want to look good, right? Yeah. You put on those suits that you have, those fly suits, you know? You want people to look at you and say, man, he is sharp and he's in shape. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, and that's definitely one of the motivating factors, right, of it all. You know, I, I remember I started lifting weights when I was uh, maybe 16, and it was for that reason. And, you know, I wanted to look, I wanted to have broader shoulders. You know, at the time, I was, was young with a lot of testosterone, and I was like, you know, let me get as big as possible. You know, there was this one, this underlying sentiment uh, that was shared by many of my friends, uh, which was, don't go too hard because it can stunt your growth. Uh, I don't, you know, I never did the research on that, but I was wondering if you knew if there was any validity to that statement. So it depends on what age you are. Okay. But it is true. You're not supposed to start training so heavy when you're young because it does have some adverse effects on your central nervous system, which could slow down. It's possible, right? Like I've talked to people who actually have degrees in exercise science and mm. they, they validate this. So I'm, okay. this is not my knowledge. This is actually talking to the experts. And they validate that because I thought to myself, I have two sons, right? Like, when can I start crushing them with, you know, training programs and things of that nature? But, you know, when they're, as they develop, it's more just a lot of cardio, making sure they stay active, making sure they're eating the right things, right. not eating fast food all the time and things of that nature, right? So as long as they stay active, it's great for them. But you can't start training too early. And the doctors should be able to tell you based on their blood work and things of that nature where they're projected to be around when they could start 
going like, you know. Really? Just training heavier than normal. By the time you're in high school, you can train normal. But I mean, when you're in middle school. Okay, yeah, middle school. Like you're talking about what, 12 years old, 13 years old? Yeah, but some, some kids are, are the, the, the elite level athletes now. I don't, know, I, mean, I, I don't know how into sports you are, but these kids are in the gym going very hard. Really? Yes. I mean, there must be, you know, look, I would feel comfortable having my son lift weights if he was already 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six. At that point, you're like, all right, like, you know, I don't need you to get any taller for this specific sport that you really like, right? Because I'm also not forcing my kids to play sports, right? right. But I think I could have been 6'2, man. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> if it wasn't for me going that hard when I was 15, 16, I'm okay with six feet. But, you know, my father was 6'2. I have some nephews that are taller than me that, yeah. that are 6'2, 6'3. Um, but also something that I read, if at an early age, you know, from the age of 13 to like the age of 22, if you stretch every day for anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes, uh, that you can increase the likelihood of you growing anywhere between two to four inches than what you would have grown if you never stretched. I can't validate that one. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, again, it's possible. Please yeah. fact check that. You know, Jordan Jordan claims that the, the reason he got taller was because he stretched a lot. No one in his family was over 5'10. Um, and, you know, he attributes stretching to his growth spurt. But, um, but yeah. So, how was this year's competition? Because I know you just came off of a, a competition. Yeah. So, some people would think. I'm kind of crazy, which is fine because I, I do do crazy things. And I, I know that my drive is not the same as most people. I'll be honest with you. Like a lot of people I come across always say, how do you have that? I'm saying, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just built this way. And it's true. Like you said, some people just are built different than others. Right. right. And so with me, uh, when January 1st came around, it was actually a, a little bit before New Year's last year. I said, you know what? I was building mass and I said, you know what? I'm in 2020. I'm going to compete in a national competition. I told that to myself. And then I said, okay, I have two kids, right? I have two kids. I have a wife. I'm in grad school. How am I going to pull this off? I have to go to the gym twice a day. I have to do cardio now in the morning and train in the afternoon. You know what? I'm going to buy a step mill. It's going to be right inside my house. So that way when I roll out of bed, 10 minutes later, I can be on the step mill. Save time. How much do you have to spend on a step mill? I don't know. MSRP is like $10,000. All right, let's find the deal. Christmas, blah, blah, blah. I find the floor model gauntlet, which is the same one that's an Equinox, the top Stairmaster for half price. Mm. I'm like, okay, this is an investment in myself. I'm buying a gauntlet. People in life need to figure out their equation. Everybody's equation is different, right? So whatever's going to work, you have to find out what works for you right. and do that. That works for me, right? So now I have a gauntlet in my house. I'm like, all right, the second I get it, I'm on it. I weigh, uh, I put up a before and after picture recently. I mean, I weighed like 260. I saw it, yeah. 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 I mean, I was just... Lifting weights, but eating whatever I wanted, right? And so I'm like, no, the fat's going to come off. I'm, I'm doing this. And I started training for the competition. March came around. I remember it was my last, I had an elective in Miami, and I was shredded by March. By March, I mean, I had veins running in my six-pack. I'm like, I'm going to go into this next competition and destroy it. Three months. So it took you three months to get there. Three months, yeah, for that three months. Mm. Any training program I do is usually three months. I can get to where I need to be. Okay. And so, COVID struck, yeah. destroyed everything, all plans, right? Like, I mean, the, the world shut down. So, all of a sudden, that goes to the back burner. You know, we go into a COVID shutdown, gyms close, all social events close, you know, and we're just living. We're just surviving at this point. I'm at work, protests are happening, 
schools pause because we don't know what's going on, right? Like, all these things happen. And so then, during this period, I'm just going with the flow because what can you do, right? Like, I mean, I, I can't control this, right? I'm, right? I'm a big proponent of do what you can control. If you can't control it, well, then that's, right. you know, it's up to the powers that be. But were you given a new date for the contest? No, because, once again, everything shut down, so it was just canceled indefinitely. Oh, okay. And so then the world starts to reopen. You know, summer passes, things, people start, you know, we learn more about COVID, things start opening. But but hold on, hold on. All right, so so <laughs> this competition is adjourned, right? Postponed, right? Postponed. And um, at that point, what do you do? You say, all right, let me uh, drive straight to Shake Shack, or do you say, you know what, let me just keep the regimen that I got going. I don't have to go as hard, but I'm still going to be strict on myself. So... The workout portion of it always continues. No matter what portion of my life I'm in, I'm going to work out five days a week or four days a week. The only thing that really changes during a competition is the type of workouts and your diet. Mm. Diet is 80% of a competition, right? So literally, yes, I, I didn't drop the Shake Shack. I think it was like Bear Burger or something like that. Or really? You fuck with Bear Burger over Shake Shack? I just... I think it was Black Sack. I can't remember. I gotta ask my wife. But it was someplace like that. I ate a pie, pizza, ice cream. At that point, it doesn't bro, matter. Bro, honestly, like, I think, <laughs> I think you, there's very few people that I would say are just as a foodie as I am. Yeah. Um, I look at your fucking post and I'm like, yo, this guy gives me hope that I can fucking be in top condition and I can eat that as well. Yes. You know, not to say that you do that all the time. Right. But, okay, so you find out that this event is postponed. You continue working out. Right. But now I'm, I'm, I'm eating a lot more. Right. Having good meals. Okay. Right? Like when you're training, you're super focused. You have to be diligent. You don't feel the same all the time because you're low on carbs, right? Like, that's not... It serves a purpose because your body is transforming and you look amazing, but that's not how you want to live normal life. Like, right. you need to enjoy. Have a drink sometimes. Bro. Have a burger. Bro. Pizza. You could be on vacation, with people fanning you and feeding you grapes. If you are low on carbs, you are miserable. Correct. You know, Kai Green put it best. He was training for the Olympia, and he was like, you know what? You know what I compare this feeling to? He's like, I can't believe that I would rather eat a cheeseburger than have sex. <laughs> and when he said that, I was like, wow, that is crazy what, what we put ourselves through. I'm like, he would rather eat a cheeseburger. It's like, right now, you know, when you're in your normal state of mind, if you're like, you want a cheeseburger, you want to have sex. Well, the answer is obvious. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. It's like, nah, I think I'm going to go this way. Yeah. But he said, you know what? Right now, like the, the pain that I feel, I'd rather eat a cheeseburger. Mm -hmm. like, that, would, that would be the heaven right now for me. And I'm just like, wow, it's, it's true. But you put yourself through a lot. And so, once again, I told myself at the beginning of the year that I was going to compete in national competition. So as things started opening and as dates for shows started becoming more clear and competitions did start happening... I had hope. And so then it's my last semester at school and I have all these things going on and I'm just like, you know what, I could wait till next year to compete in this competition. There's nothing stopping me. Like, it's not like I have to compete right now. Right. But I told myself at the beginning of the year that I was going to compete in a national show. And once again, I told you, when I say I'm going to do something and I have my mindset on it, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And so literally, I put a, I put a plan together for my, my workouts. I got with a a coach, Mandis Buckle, who he's based out of Chicago. Awesome. Uh, we put together a game plan, and I started training. And it was nothing. It didn't matter if I had school. It didn't matter if I had to train twice a day. There was nothing that was going to get in the way 
of me competing in that national competition, which I just competed in last weekend. I get that. You know, I love that mentality. Um, that mentality has also helped me a lot because I check myself. Because, you know, sometimes when you say you want to do something, you're, you know, you're in the moment. Yeah. And, and, you, and you probably do it initially because it feels good, right? But when it doesn't feel good, uh, you know, I can see many folks rationalizing as to why they don't want to do that anymore. And I always told myself that if I gave myself a goal, that even if I had doubts as to whether I really wanted to achieve that goal during the process, I still had to achieve it so that I can walk away from it and say, at least I did it. I said I was going to do it. At least I did it. I did it. It's not for me. I'm fine. I could walk away now. Um, you know, and the same thing was always whether it was pledging a fraternity, you know, or whether it was in law school. You know, there were moments in law school where I was like, come on, I don't think I'm going to be that happy as a lawyer if this is what I'm looking forward to. Right. Um, but but, you know, things like that, that mentality, you know, has helped me through a lot. And I, I definitely see it in you. Where did you get that mentality from? Because people aren't just born with that mentality. I can't say directly where I got it from. But I mean, I think my father had a big part to do with it you know he used to work a lot of hours and work two jobs and you know just do whatever he could to make us happy you know I mean I had a great upbringing right I lived in Long Island everything I needed as a kid I mean it was awesome right I look back I lived like a varsity blues life like mm. you know my high my senior year in high school we won the Long Island championship went undefeated right my parents would go on vacation I would have house parties you know like this is I lived like a, a dream childhood and so Honestly, it's just one of those things where I see too many people in life so complacent with where they are, and that's just not me. Mm -hmm. And I always tell myself, I don't want that to be me. Because the thing is, it's like, if you tell yourself you're going to do something, and you stick to it, well, people will always, they, they're called excuses, but people will try to rationalize whatever it is to get out of doing hard work. Yeah, They're always going to go towards the side where there's less work. Oh, well, I can just do that then because, and I can just do this then because, and it's like, okay, well, you're not getting any better by shying away from the work. Right. And so the thing to me is that I'm never one to shy away from the work, right? Like that, the grind creates, it, it calluses your mind to a point where it's like you're able to do anything for a certain period, right? I'm not, I can't live like that forever, but a certain period of time, for a certain period of time, I can focus on myself to accomplish my goals. Right. And then I take a break. Like right now I'm taking a break. You know, last night I went home. I ate like a box of mini donuts. I had like this chicken. It's called the hashtag from this deli. It's awesome. It's like chicken cutlet with a hash brown and cheese. I ate a whole bag of Doritos. I had uh, pretzels. There was like a cheese Danish there. I ate that. Right. Like I do this. That's what I went to. I ate that. I was so full last night. My wife had to tell me to stop eating. <laughs> Give my brain like five seconds to process that I ate all the food. Yeah. So I could like not explode. Right. You know? Right. And I, I went to bed so happy, you know, because I can't live in the grind forever, mm -hmm. but I can for a certain period of time. Right. And the period of time that I say that I'm going to. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, I said I was going to compete in national competition and Nothing was going to get in my way of doing that. So I finished up my grad school program while I was training. Um, I would wake up early, do my cardio, go to work, do some of my schoolwork at work, train after work, go home, do it all over again the next day. For the, let, let's say for the last three months, how many hours were you dedicating a week 
to the gym or to training because you know you obviously have machines at home so straight training straight training well so the amount of cardio i did the last couple months so every morning i had to do between 30 minutes of cardio and an hour of cardio okay so every morning six days a week was that and fasted right without eating anything because that helps uh burn fat faster correct okay so they say once again there's mixed beliefs and everything but this is what bodybuilders do so this is why it's a staple they say when you train on an empty stomach that the energy source your body's using is fat. So you'll you'll burn more fat in the morning, right? As a bodybuilder, mm. your objective is to be as lean as possible. A lot of a lot of the times people associate cardio with losing fat, but it depends on when you're doing the cardio, right? If you just eat a bowl of oatmeal or some fruit, and then you say to yourself, hey, I'm gonna go for a five-mile run, right? For the first half an hour, 35 minutes. You're burning that off. You're burning the, 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 the carbs you just ate. Yeah. So it's like, yes, you're doing cardio, which means heart health. So yes, you are. It's very healthy. Go run. Do cardio. I'm not telling you not to. If your objective is to burn fat, well, then that's not when you do it, right? Because that's counterproductive to right. what you're trying to achieve. Right, right. So the best times for you to do cardio, if you're trying to burn fat, would be fasted in the morning or post-workout when you've already done a bunch of functional training, right? Legs, right. chest, arms. And then at the end, after that hour, you do cardio then because now your body's depleted of all the carbs and you'll be burning fat at the end. Right, right. Okay, so with the cardio and then you would go back after work and you would train at a gym. Correct. You would start lifting. Right. How much How much time? Uh, about an hour and a half. Okay, all right. So that's not, you know, too crazy. So that's... I usually take like two hours because once again, once I, from one, the moment I get to the gym to leave, to I leave is like two hours. We stretch, warm up. Okay, and do you do sauna at any point? Uh, no, I'm not a big person. Really? Okay. Um, you know why? Because I, you know, there was one time where I would say I was probably at my, at my leanest and I was in the best shape that I've ever been in. Uh, I was doing the sauna maybe three times a week and it was leaning me out. It was just... It was great. Like my muscles, I felt were a lot more defined as a result of the lean. Um, so I've always wondered that if uh, if I would do the sauna more often, that you know it would really help me. So the sauna helps. I know that it helps. That's like something that a lot of people do. Um, the thing is, how much does it help? And what other things are you doing wrong that you need the sauna? Mm. Right. And so. Most people, and I'm just going to say this because it's the question I get 90% of the time, is how do you get a six-pack? So everybody wants. Everybody oh, no, wants. no, no. I was going to talk to you about that. <laughs> you know? So the biggest things that, the biggest aspect of having a lean midsection, there's three things involved, right? It's Hold on, let me get a pen. Your water intake. Yeah. Cardio. Okay. And your diet. Right? And so, just to explain this real fast, your water intake a lot of people don't drink enough water per day. Right. You're supposed to drink a gallon. The reason for it is, if you drink less than a gallon... The body just holds on. Your body holds on to the water. Mm-hmm. So what happens? Your, your skin is very thick. It's very fluffy, right? Your, your, your skin isn't tight to the muscle. And so you have like a, a middle layer of water that your body's holding on to. If you drink a gallon of water per day, your body's like a filter. And it knows that you're going to drink that gallon of water per day. So what does it do? It excretes it. What happens? You get leaner because you're losing all the water weight because you're intaking water, right? Right. Cardio. Cardio is important because that just gets the blood flowing. Cardio is great for, like, you know, your, your heart pumping, your blood flowing, your veins expand. Um, you're getting a lot of oxygen. 
oxygenation, they call it, to the muscles, right? Like, and that's just a huge part of being back, being lean. And of course, your diet, right? The more fat you intake, the fatter you'll be. I don't yeah. know how to put yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Too, right? right, right. So, I mean, the thing is, you want to speed your metabolism up so your body is burning through the calories you eat. And also, make sure your water intake is high and make sure your diet is relatively clean. But People think you have to eat like, you know, that you can't have a burger like I eat. I mean, I could eat, I could eat a cheeseburger right now and have a six-pack. I could eat a cheeseburger every three days and still have a six-pack. But that's because you've gotten to a point where your body's working as a machine. Like, it's a burn, it's a fat-burning machine at this point because it knows that you're going to work it out, so it's not even holding on to it. Correct. And so this is why I tell you, if people were, were able to focus on themselves for a certain period of time, you can get to a point where you look the way you want to look and also eat what you want to eat. And that is literally the point where I'm at right now. Of course, I'm always aiming to get better because after this national competition, I didn't do as well as I wanted to. So I'm going to build for next year. Mm -hmm. But even in this building process, right, I have a structured diet. This morning, I was a little late here because I had to meal prep. I have all my food with me for the day. And I'm going to stick to that. And each week I can have two or three cheat meals where I'll take my wife out to dinner and we'll have an amazing burger. Mm -hmm. and I'll eat everything that you see on Instagram. I can do that three times a week right. and still maintain the way I look. But the thing is you have to put yourself in the dungeon first, get to where you need to be, and then reward yourself. Too many people are like, I had a good week. Let me re reward myself on Friday. It's like, no. Are you where you want to be? then you don't need to reward yourself yet. What are you rewarding yourself for? Making it through the week? Congratulations. Do that for three months. Get to where you want to be, and then reward yourself. Why? Because then people will see, not people, you will see what you can accomplish when you put your mind to it, right? Hmm. But it's like the thought of some people not having a drink, right? Like, I haven't, I haven't had an alcoholic beverage in over four months. So if I sip that champagne right now, that'll be the first alcoholic beverage I have in over four months. Mm. To some people, that's they can't even imagine that. And to me, it's just like, and I love drinking. I love drinking, by the way. <laughs> let's get, let's make that very clear, right? Like over this, the next month, this you know holiday season, I will be drunk a few times. Right. You know what I'm saying? But once again, it's just like your ability to control your own thoughts, your own emotions for a certain period of time to get something done. Yeah. And that's when. So when we talk about this last year's competition, that's why I tell people that, like, motivation, you know, people have heard this other places, but I live by it. Motivation is great, but it's shit because you can be extremely motivated on Monday, right? You know, we have this conversation, you learn a lot about fitness, and you go have an amazing workout, right? But, like, what happens two weeks from now after Thanksgiving when, you know, you've had a million calories, you went up a couple pounds... And it's cold outside, and it's raining, and here's where you can come up with all those excuses not to make it to the gym, not to drink a gallon of water. Ah, it's Christmas season anyway, you know? Like, 80% of America over the next month and a half will destroy themselves. Right. And January 1st, people, I mean, hopefully COVID doesn't shut down the gyms, but right. there'll be a million New Year's resolutions talking about, ah, I destroyed myself over the holiday season, like I need to lose weight, right? That's why January and February are so Big for gym membership. for gyms, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, this is what people do. And the thing is, we know people do this. And that's why they can just, it's, it's going to happen. The question is, are you going to let it happen? Right. Right? And so this is a choice. It, it, it literally is a choice. And people who say that it's anything more than that are once again making excuses. Right. Right. And, you know, and I agree with you as far as it being a choice because um, 
if you really sit down and, 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 and understand that you can create a plan to, to, to limit your excuses, then you are choosing to uh, continue on not being healthy if you don't create that plan. You know, like right now, I, I started, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, meal prep. You know, meal prep is so important. It's very important for me because I have this really weird relationship of romanticizing food. You know, I think about like how the cheese melts on the burger patty and the type of bread that I want to eat with that burger or the French fries. They have to be they have to be like a few minutes away from, you know, being in the oven, you know, like like they have to be crisp. Like the worst thing in the world is for me to eat a cold fry or, you know, I'm Dominican. Cold tostones to me breaks my heart. No, it's true. Breaks like my heart. Sad, it's like a sad. Thing. It's like you know. So like I'm very detailed when it comes to my foods, and and you know, and I also I also have a sweet tooth, and I think you do too, because I see a lot of desserts in your stories, you know, and and I think that has been my demise, you know, I'm, not my demise, you know, not to sound all dramatic, but I think if I if I never ever ever achieve a six pack, it's going to be because of that sweet tooth, like, and if I don't. If I'm not intentional about it, if I'm not intentional about it, suppressing it or doing what I have to do to like limit my cravings, like, bro, like I would wake up at three in the morning to like, you know, go to the refrigerator, open it up, grab some grapes and start chomping away because my body needs the sugar. You know, I'm totally aware that I may have a sugar addiction. I'm, I'm sure I have a sugar addiction. So by the way, when you first go on prep, the first two weeks is the hardest week because everybody has a sugar addiction, right? Sugar is literally addicting. And when your body is detoxing from sugar, it is a hard. It's ridiculous. It's no. Ridiculous. No, no, no. Like the, you, hardest, the, hard, the hardest two, the hardest. So I trained for four months straight. Right? right. The hardest weeks period were weeks one and two going through that sugar detox. Like, wait, I'm not eating sugar anymore. And the last two weeks, because then that's like the crunch time, right. no carb, you're doing a bunch of fluctuations, right. you know, and you're really tired and your body's run down. Right, okay? right. But those first two weeks, sugar is really real. You see like a sweet or something that you love and you're like, whoa, I can't eat it now. All yeah. right. Like your mind right. goes crazy. Right. So, you know, and that's why I think the meal prep is important. And I just uh, ordered with uh, Cook Unity, a boy, my, you know, my boy actually recommended that I do that. You know, I just ordered for the first week 10 meals, especially in light of like how hectic my work schedule is. Sometimes I forget to eat. So as I forget to eat, you know, I go hours and hours without eating. So then that depletes me energy wise. Right. But then when I get hungry, it's like I'm starving. Like all of all of a sudden, my my body is like, bro, like what have you done to me? Are you depriving me of of everything that I need to go on? So next thing you know, I'm clawing at the closest food item, and nine times out of ten, it's not the healthiest. So I said, no, I have to have it there so that I don't think about it, and so that I can just view it as uh, fuel for the body, and I can just That's finish exactly it off. You have to view it, and also as you speed your metabolism up and eat six meals a day. You even if you're working six meals a day, six meals a day. Good lord! And even if you're working and you your schedule gets hectic, your body will remind you that you have to eat because at that three hour mark where you haven't eaten, you won't be able to continue without mm. eating. Mm. So when you say six meals a day, are you saying six full meals, or are you saying a meal and then three hours of protein shake and then another three hours another meal? Or are you saying six full meals? So I eat six full meals a day. Good but, lord! But when you're starting out or if you're getting into it, two of those could be protein shakes. Okay. 
right? So you would have four other full meals. And when I say meal, once again, your meal portion shrinks because you're eating more frequently. So this isn't like, you know, a lot of people, when they think of meals, they think like, oh, you're eating some massive amount of food. Like, no, you're eating, you know, in the morning, you know, six egg whites and, you know, four ounces of oatmeal or whatever the case is, right? It's like, no, it's a small, it's tiny. you're not going to be like, oh my God, I'm stuffed after this. Okay. So, so you're checking your portions yes, portion and that's, right. Big, yes. Right. Yeah. Um, you also spoke to me before about, uh, you know, talking to a nutritionist. Um, how has that been for you? So, I mean, honestly, I know everybody has to be held accountable, right? And so even myself, where I know that I know what foods I have to eat to accomplish a certain look. The thing is, if I'm doing it myself, I can always say, yeah, it's not a big deal. I can just have a little more. Is that the third? Because objectively speaking, I, to myself, I always look good, right? I'm, and I'm not saying that in a pretentious way. I'm saying that like a, when you're thinking about your fitness. So it's easy for you, if you're controlling it yourself, to just say, oh, okay, I have a little bit extra here. It's not a big deal, right? But when you're competing at a national level and you're saying to yourself, wait, I'm going to be competing as guys that are doing the same thing that are at an extremely elite level, these, this matters. Having a coach keeps me accountable. Mm-hmm. And there's knowledge that he has that I don't have, right? So getting somebody who's experienced, and now it's like, okay, well, in the morning, I have to send him a check-in picture, you know, when I have to do that. A check-in picture? Right. Like so, a, a photo of, of you without a shirt? Okay. Yeah, right. In, uh, in, my, in my briefs, in my right. briefs, right? Posing like I would on stage, right? He can see if I've eaten what I was supposed to eat. Mm. And he'll be like, wait a second. Did you do your cardio you're supposed to do? Did you, did you have any more, you know, did you eat more than you were supposed to? Did you drink too much water? Did you drink or... too much this? Did you do right. that? And then I'll, I'll have to adjust accordingly, right? So because I know that I'm going to be held accountable, then it's just easy to do what you're supposed to do. Because it's like I'm, when, I, when I check in with him, every time I check in with him as a person, because I know what I'm aiming towards, I want him to say, oh, you look good. You're, we're on track. We're good. If he says, ooh, we got we to gotta shift here left, it's like, wait a second, nah, I know I'm messing up, mm. right? It's accountability. Is that expensive? It's very expensive. Just a nutritionist, because I know everything overall becomes really expensive, but just him or her. So he's my coach, and I mean, it's his prices he would make publicly available anyway. So the thing is, he likes people who invest in themselves for the long run. He doesn't like people who come and go. Because he likes to build quality, authentic relationships with his athletes. The team I'm a part of is underground athletes. Mm. And so Mandis Buckle is the CEO of that. The athlete that just wants to get in shape for, you know, three months, compete in a show, and then fall off and just do whatever they want. He doesn't want that person because it's not good for the brand. Because that's not a lifestyle. That's just like a, I'm, I'm doing this one time and I'm going to resort to my normal ways. Mm. So you have to sign on with him for the year mm. and pay up front as your investment because it's like, okay, you're either going to invest now and be with me for the year and you're in this for the long run or I'm not taking you on. So you're saying coach, yeah. you know, so he's holding you accountable for what you're intaking, Correct. right? Food intake. But he's also telling you what to do in your workouts. Yes. He structures it, right? Like, so I mean, the training, he gives you the mainframe or tells you to do it a little extra if he sees I'm lacking in an area. But, you know, I know how to train, so I, I do my own workouts. But if he thinks something needs to improve, he'll tell me, do more of these, you know? Mm. So it's like I have a full program because I know how to create my own workout program. And he designs the split to make sure, like, okay, we have to burn a lot of calories today, so you're going to do legs today because that burns the most calories. Mm-hmm. 
and we're gonna put your calories, we're gonna put your carbs low that day, so you really burn a lot of calories. Right, you might not right. feel that great that day, but it's gonna work for your body. Interesting. You know, that's yeah. what it is. It's like the the structure, the mainframe, and the guidance. Okay, and, and it's three thousand dollars. Okay. For the year. Which is not that bad. Well, you know, again, it's it's expensive, right? Um, but when you talk about your health, um, I think, and when you divide it by twelve. Two fifty a month. Two fifty a month. Yeah, if I was young, you know, you know, relatively young, right? But 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 if I was like a nineteen year old and I and I had uh, the fast metabolism that I had at that time, and I also had less things going on in my life, whether it was work, there was podcasting, right? right. Like all of these things that that take up so much time, um, so much mental space, that makes it harder for you to tap in, like for you to get zoned in. You know, I would be like, nah, like, I wouldn't do that. Like, that's, you know, like, I can do that on my own. But bro, like, right now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. Like, accountab- I need accountability. Um, especially when you say, uh, you know, like, what are you celebrating on a Friday with a cheap meal? Like, you're not even close to where you need to be at. You should be celebrating after three months. I, this, this I, I need someone to tell me that <laughs> because I'm celebrating every Friday, bro. <laughs> As most of America does. So that's why... People look the way they do. But so that's why the, one of the biggest values that I have as well is discipline, right? So I, we spoke about this before, right? Discipline is doing the things you have to do even when you don't want. Mm-hmm. This is what produces results. Discipline and consistency. Those are my two biggest values. Day in and day out, if you have a goal and you set a plan, when you're motivated, right? Be highly motivated when you set this plan. Be extremely ambitious. Set that plan and then boom, this is where discipline comes in. Mm. And then you add that accountability to it, right? So now I was like, wait a second. The second it gets tough, which it will, right? It's all good and good and clean when you set it that first day. It's like, yeah, at the end of three months, I'm going to look like this. Oh, I can't wait, right? At month two, you're like, oh, what did I get myself into? Right. I feel like I'm going to die right now. Right, right. Right? But how do you keep going then? It's the consistency. It's the accountability that someone's there saying, hey, listen, what are you doing? And then, you know what? The biggest person in your life that you can fail is yourself. Right? Nobody cares. Like, if you don't make your fitness goals, right, do I personally care? Absolutely not. I can make you a workout plan right now. You know what I'm saying? And, of course, I would only care because I'm like, man, he didn't have this plan. He wasn't tough enough to, to, to get through this, you know? Right. But that's the extent of my caring, right? The only person is going to matter to at, at the end of that three months, you're going to look at yourself and say, you know what? I set that goal and I failed. Oh, man, that's a horrible feeling. Right. Some people don't care. It's not important to some people. Some people accept failure and it's like, okay, that's fine. And nobody's saying that failure is bad because you learn a lot from failure, right? It happens in life and you learn to deal with it. But when it comes to yourself and the sport and fitness, right? You don't want to, it's just one of the areas where you don't want to fail. Right, right. right. No, I agree. I agree. It's not a business plan. Like, oh, you know, a lot of business plans fail. Like, yeah, okay, try again. That's fine. Like, this is yourself. This is your... You only get one. You only have one body in life, right? Right. And right. reality is, is that, you know, like I told you, you're only as young as you think you are, and we're in our prime right now. Why? Because this is our time. The time we have is the time we're living right now, and it's like, who's to say what our future looks like, right? Why not live all these moments to the to the extent of your capacity? Right. And that's my my vision. And so, when I think about fitness, right, like I'm I'm like super excited about this off season because I know that I'll be better. Than I was this year. Yeah. Because how many years have you competed? Uh, the shows that I did now were show 
four and five. So I've done five shows. Okay. And, you know, is there a specific thing that you would say that you had to improve on each show or, you know, um, yeah, like as far as improvements, like what do you think you need to improve for the next show? Yeah. So, I mean, this sport is super critical and uh, the areas that I need to improve are literally my waistline mm. was a little bit big for the show. Um, I do have a lot of muscle mass. So the thing is that my conditioning needs to improve. Like, so for as, you know, people can objectively speak, it's like, okay, yeah, I have an eight pack, but once again, you're competing against everybody who has an eight pack. Right. And so I just need to be overall better conditioned. And then my posing routine has to be a little bit more refined. Okay. So, so, so so the posing routine, obviously, I guess you get a a coach that specifically helps you with the poses, right? Helps you. You know, make sure that those muscles are bulging. But the conditioning, what does what does that look like? So the conditioning, honestly, it just means that the way my diet, the way my body absorbs certain types of foods, we did we did it differently for these past two shows. And the first show, we saw that you know having carbs too early in the week made my stomach full, mm-hmm. like I was holding on to water. The second show, we did it better. We had more fats towards the end, and it realized that you know, my body was holding on to the fats better as in like, I looked a lot leaner. Mm. So I improved a lot over the, you know, the four week period and I did come in more conditioned, but the national show is the elite, right? Like if you come in the top two, if you place first or second in the national show, you become a pro athlete. Mm. And with that comes... With that just comes more credibility in terms of, you know, you were able to... We all do the same thing. I mean, everybody's going through the same training, right? But it just means that you were the best mm. at doing it. Right. right. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it. But, like, like, do you get, like, fitness model uh, contracts? So, the fitness model contracts and things like that, that comes even if you're not a pro athlete, mm. right? Like, just people then are just looking for a look. It doesn't matter. Once again, I'm talking about my waistline, right? It doesn't matter if your waistline is, you know, 20 six inches or 27 inches or 28 inches at that point, right? All they care about is your six-pack and that you look in shape. Like the vitamin shop ad that I did, right? Right. I mean, for a vitamin shop ad, objectively speaking, right, I look, I'm an amazing athlete. Overall, everybody who competes at a national show is an amazing athlete. But when you're competing for that exact purpose, you need to be, like, on top of your game, right? Like, right. your body has to be literally a statue. Okay. So, so maybe, okay, maybe not a fitness model, but maybe... Uh, someone that a brand for, let's say, a protein or a creatine uh, wants to use as as their, like, their face. The best way I can put it is becoming a pro athlete gives you a little more clout, right? It's the same thing as, like, social media and, you know, the perceived, not the, per- the perception that, you know, this person is better than that person. Right. Or he knows more than the other person, right? If we're all competing in the same competition and I come in third and you come in second, you get your pro card and I don't, but now you're an IFBB pro, you know? It just sounds like, oh, no, of course, the guy who's a pro knows more. He's, he's a pro. Mm. So, you know, so whatever you're pushing, people are going to want to buy it. Right. Okay. You're going to be focusing a bit more now on conditioning and also on your poses. The when objective, is The objective is always to get better. Mm. Right? So, I mean, like, I will develop my muscles as well. Um, that's always a constant, right? People ask me, oh, so are you just maintaining right now? I'm never maintaining. To maintain is to stay the same. Mm. I don't ever want to stay the same. Right. Right? Once again, it's all about your mentality. If you're just staying the same, are you pushing yourself hard enough? I look like this now. So what does that mean? Like, 
You know what I'm saying? You yeah. always have to have an objective and a reason for the things you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, once again, you know, am I saying I'm going to be super strict all the time? I, I still have a strict diet and, like, you know, it's outlined and there's set protocols. But now I can relax a little more. And, you know, I can sleep. I don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn. I woke up today, you know. I, you know, was I supposed to eat a banana with my oatmeal this morning? No, but I did. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can just be a little bit more like, all right, like, no. Right. And everything's going to be fine. Right. You're still going to build, you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, at this point, once again, it's all about control, right? Like, today, I'm not eating anything I'm not supposed to. I have all my food in the bag. I'm not eating anything that's not in that bag, mm. right? Tomorrow, when I'm home on a Sunday with my family and kids, yeah, Tomorrow morning, we're going to go to a diner, and I'm going to have French toast and a waffle and ice cream. And I know that. So, just like you're a foodie, I'm a foodie. Yeah. But it's all about doing it at the right moments. Mm-hmm. And also, if you have a food craving during the day, right? Like, say, like, you're at work. You're like, oh, I'm going to the gym later. Damn, I'm really craving sweets, right? Well, you can have sweets, right? But it's better to position them around your workout. Right. Right? If you have that, I don't know, whatever it is you like to eat, eat it 30 minutes before you're going to work out. And go crush the workout. Guess what? You're going to burn it off. It's going to give you energy. It's good for you. If you're eating it at 3 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, what is, is there a meal that you normally do eat right before a workout just to get you going? Enough to get you going, but not enough where you have to spend time burning it off? Uh, the pre-workout and post-workout meals always are carb heavy. Mm. So, I mean, I always eat an hour before I work out. And it's usually just rice or sweet potatoes. Okay. With some sort of protein, right? Okay. It's either chicken, tilapia, beef, but... Okay. And as far as after the workout, protein shake? Uh, in the off-season, yes, immediately. During prep, no. So you don't you don't actually... It's funny. People think you drink protein shakes all the time, right? During when you're prepping, you don't drink protein shakes. It's all food because the thing is your body needs food to process to be as full as it needs to. Like your mm. muscles... Don't get full from a protein shake. You'll get the protein you need, but you need actual food that your body's digesting because of how your metabolism processes food. Mm. So whey protein's amazing for you in general when you're working out, right? Like you're still going to look amazingly ripped, amazingly everything. It also holds on to water. Right. So when you drink whey protein, it's also dairy. Dairy doesn't process that well in your stomach. It makes your skin thick. Well, that's my problem. I don't. I don't take in dairy pretty pretty well, so I've uh, resorted to um, taking um, like plant-based proteins, but I don't feel the same energy when I do those type of protein shakes. As far as hitting the gym and feeling the strength, whey protein does it for me, but I'm not, I also don't want to walk around with a bloated stomach. Correct. So it's like... So you can imagine if you're competing, you definitely don't want to have any sort of bloating. Even right. if you have a six-pack, you can still be bloated. Right, right. You want to be as tight as possible. Yeah. So protein shakes don't accomplish that. Right, right, right. Okay. So, so you know, so when you are training, after the workout, are you having a meal? A meal, yes. Okay. All right. And, and that meal is usually something clean because you're about to go to sleep at this point, I would imagine. No. So I don't train right. I train around five or six o'clock. So it's not right before I'm going to sleep. So the meal is still okay. like, you know. Really? Rice, okay. Okay, that's interesting. And once, um, you, once, once you're eating six meals a day and training twice a day, your body's like a machine. That whole aspect of like whoever came up with the idea that you shouldn't eat something past a certain time is talking like, you know, if you're 
on a normal schedule and you work out like in the morning, mm. that's what that's for. But when you're training to compete for a competition, time is not a factor. It's just your nutrition and getting done what you're supposed to, right? So I could eat, if I'm training at midnight, then I'm eating that carbon-sensitive meal right? mm. for that workout session, right? Like your body needs the energy when it's supposed to have it. Interesting. Not like depending on what time it is. Interesting. And you talk about your waistline. Um, my, you know, like if I had a nutritionist or a coach, I'm sure the first thing he would be like, okay, would be like, okay, like, you know, I, I can see that you can build um, shoulders, chest pretty quickly, my back pretty quickly, also my legs. My problem area has always been my stomach as far as getting abs, maybe because I haven't trained it as much. Like, do you see that that is the common issue for, for most men, because I would imagine, you know, not everyone wants to put in the diet, the workout, the cardio, um, and also genetically. I feel like some folks just are born with six packs, you know, like, are, are you one of the few? I think no, you are. No, no, and that's sure. how I try to rationalize it so that I can feel good about it. <laughs> no, no, I'm definitely not one of the few. I mean, I'm, I wasn't born with a six pack. In fact, I didn't have a six pack, I would call it, until later in life. Even when I was in high school, I didn't. I had a flat stomach, but there weren't like six defined abs, right? I had to like learn how to train, make sure I hit my abs a certain way, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're just always there, even when I'm heavy. But uh, you know, when you're first starting a training program of any level, right? The first thing to do is just do an evaluation of what you do now, understand your habits, understand your schedule, and then you start working from there, right? Because you can't spot shoot your body like, oh, I want to grow my when you're at an elite level, you can because you know what you're doing. Like, oh, I, I want my shoulders to get bigger. I want my arms to get bigger, right? And then it's like, well, then their whole diet's going to change. Their workout's going to change. Right. Their entire week's going to change for that one purpose, right? When you're trying to develop a six-pack and just increase your body's... To have a six-pack in general, your body has to be very well conditioned. Right. And your body fat has to be below 10%. Correct. Is that even, is that even healthy? 100%. To, to keep your body fat below 10%? Yes. Athletic level is like 9, 10%. That's like a, a, a very well standard athlete. You go below that and that's like shredded. You know, 7% think, is shredded. 5% is like you're on stage. Right. But so the, the, the 9, that's where you, as a, as a man, if you want to have that nice strided six pack, you should, below 10% is where you aim to be. And you can live comfortably eating your cheeseburgers, watching the cheese drip off the side, mm. you know, twice a week, whatever the case is, Interesting. below nine, below 10%. Really? Yeah. I long for that day, brother. I long for that day. Um, yeah, man. And, and, you know, and now are you continuing, even on your off season, are you training until failure or are you saying, you know, these are the sets that I have to do. I'm going to do them. Let me get the hell out. So believe it or not, it's, it's still all structured. Uh, it's I'm on right now what's called a reverse diet. So because I was so carb deficient for a long time, you can't just overload your body with carbs and you know recklessness because then you're just gonna damage your metabolism and you know ruin all the work that, that you've done. Right. So you have to slowly reintroduce yourself to eating a little bit more and a little bit more each day until your body gains up to speed, and then all of a sudden it's like you're better than you were before because now your body can hold on to more calories at an efficient level, right? Mm. Like anything else in life, it takes time. Right, Even right. for your body to understand your diet, it takes a little bit of time. And mm. that's why the most important thing to exercise and fitness is consistency. Right, right. Like day in and day out. It's like, no, 
of course, they're scheduled. Once again, when I say consistency, I mean, even if it's a scheduled off day or a scheduled cheat meal, it's like it's there for a purpose. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. And, um, and because of this consistency, sometimes um, I would imagine that you've arrived at certain places where you're like, you know what? I feel overtrained. Or does that never happen to you? Um, I mean, it happens once in a blue. But okay. that's when you know your body, right? Like, I mean, if, if I feel like I'm overtrained, I'll just schedule myself a day off. Okay. okay. I can take off from the gym today. Okay. But then that means if I'm taking off from the gym because, like, you know, my muscles feel run down, well, then that day, eat super clean. Mm. Eat super healthy. Make sure yeah. that that day is one of those days where it's like, oh, I'm eating everything inside that bag and nothing more. Your body's just going to recover. Right. A nice day of recovery. Have you ever experienced... Um, getting to a point where you're working out and you're working out hard um, and you feel yourself getting stronger but not as big as you want? Um, the day that you start training, you'll never be as big as you want to be. Right? Mm. So, like, literally, that's what Ronnie Coleman said, and he's eight-time Mr. Olympia. Because even when you win the Olympia, it's like, okay, I'm going to take this day in. Guess what? How can I get better for next year? Mm. Even the person at the top, even if you watch Jordan's documentary, he would celebrate the championship, and then he would say to himself, okay, I'm going to take this in. Yeah, I know I'm the man. All right, cool. All right, who's here next year? When are we going to start training? Because right. there's still work to be done. Right, right. That's the mentality you have to keep when you're training, because once again, you always want to get better. Right. You know? Gotcha, gotcha. Are there specific supplements that you pretty much rock with all the time, uh, whether it's a protein, a specific protein brand, you know, I'm not sure if they're paying you now, um, so, but. <laughs> there's no specific one um, that I, like, am stuck on. Right. I know that uh, Max Nutrition has their whey protein that is just with almond milk. Mm. It's so delicious. Really? That I always, I always go back to that protein. But in terms of, like, pre-workout and BCAAs and creatine, I always switch that stuff up because... It's like, I just can't have the same thing all the time. Right, right. Well, your body starts to tolerate it. Yeah, I mean, you still take them all the time. But, I mean, it's just one of those things where you just want to switch up the flavors, you know. Mm. Yeah. I've been rocking with, uh, as far as pre-workout, um, Total War. And I combine that with uh, Big Noise. That, like, the Big Noise has the pumping effect. Okay. And, the, and the Total War uh, just just brightens up my mood, man. Just... Has me going in there, going to war, pretty much, you know, the, no, 100%. as the name says. Um, and then, again, because of the protein shakes, uh, as far as me being lactose intolerant, I've just been doing a lot of uh, the plant-based, um, the the Vega Sport uh, yeah, proteins. Cool. As yeah. long as your body's getting pro, so there's an anabolic window after you work out where your body needs that nutrition to just recover as fast as it can. Right. If you miss it, you just won't reap the benefits as much as you would have if you hit that anabolic window. Right. And so it's a 30-minute period. So, like, after you, you shut the workout down, you should definitely get, you know, 30 to 45 grams of protein in within a half an hour. Right. If it's plant-based protein, if it's whey protein, if it's food. Right. Just get it in. Gotcha. You know? Too many people stress over, right? Like, I tell people this all the time. If you're so worried about your supplements, right, like, don't forget that there's a whole aspect of, like, hard work and your <laughs> training and you killing yourself in the gym and you getting the sleep you're supposed to get and your hydration, that play into your shape. I promise you, it don't matter what protein you take. Right. That's not going to change anything. Like, right. That is just, once again, a supplement. And a very tiny, tiny one. In the entire equation of you having a six-pack, that protein shake after your workout is about 
0.5%. And yet and still people stress about it as if it's like, no, if I take this protein, right. then I'm going to get the six-pack. Yeah, right? yeah. That protein, then, then uh, I'm going to get the six-pack. Yeah, no. it's about to get serious now. You know what I'm saying? I just yeah. ordered my batch. Yeah, yeah. Right. So. Yeah. What are your thoughts as we get older, right? Because we are getting older. Uh, what are your thoughts about um, selective androgen receptors, mod- modulators, uh, known as SARMs, or even T-boosters? SARMs. Um, I actually like SARMs. So I'm a proponent of them because... Uh, so Eva Supplement is a very prominent supplement store throughout New York. They have a location in Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. And the owner, Demetrios, shout out to him because he's been in my corner for like 10 years. Mm. Um, he likes SARMs as opposed to, you know, actually using steroids and stuff like that. Right? Mm. Because I mean, that, that's just damaging to the body. Right. Um, and, you know, for my first one or two preps, we use SARMs and I mean I've had great results and is there a specific one because I, I've used LGD LGD I think it's 4033 um, and I've had you know I, I've retained some water with that one yeah. uh, but the strength you know was was pretty impressive so there, there's no one that I'm gonna like you know back right I'm just saying SARMs in general I'm, I'm a proponent of them because when we were when I was on prep I know like for the beginning half which was like the mass period we were taking a certain kind and right. for the cutting period we were taking a different kind i don't really remember what they were called or right. which one it was but i mean they I they were they were yeah yeah and um but once again you have to put in the work but the, you know i'm taking songs i'm also waking up at 5 a.m yeah on my diet right drinking the water right. training hard right? yeah. so it's like once again, I, I can't claim like what percentage it helped. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I know that I was on my way to achieving my goals when I used them. And I, I, I know that I did feel an effect. Like I was like, oh no, I feel strong. I yeah. Feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel a difference. Right. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you got to put in the work. Um, and, and T-boosters, testosterone boosters. I mean, honestly, I tell people all the time as you get older, so health should be one of your main factors, right? Because as we get older, we're more susceptible to a lot of things, especially black and brown men, right? If there's any health things that run in your family, diabetes and whatnot, right? Like, so you should always get your blood work done and have a doctor tell you specifically what you're at risk for and what you need to correct. Right. I get my blood work done every four months or something like that to make sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be just because I'm that anal about it. Right. But I'm also that concerned about my health just because, like, I want to be, like, a machine. Mm. You know? Like, I, I want my... I, I look at my body now, like, you know, I want to be fully functioning at all times. Right. Right? Whether it's physically and mentally. Like, even right now, I just graduated. I feel like, you know, I'm as... there's Learning never stops, right? But I'm as smart as I've ever been in my life at this point. And I only want to keep going. So, you know getting to sleep, taking your vitamins, making sure that your cognition is good, making sure that you're, and then you go to your health, right? Cholesterol, your testosterone level, right? It, mm-hmm. it decreases every year after the age of 30, right? There's still healthy levels, but some men have low testosterone, right? Should you get that checked out? Could you go on testosterone therapy? Well, that's a different equation for everybody, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you, could be, you could be functioning at a level you're not supposed to, and you don't even know it, right? right? People who are who have type A personalities, don't get enough sleep and all these things, 
they know they sometimes they do go low and then all of a sudden like they're like oh man no it's just me it's just me I'm like no 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 your body's actually jacked up bro you gotta go get checked out <laughs> right 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 <laughs> you right. know what I mean so once again it, it literally is like starting from the evaluation like the same thing in fitness start with your evaluation know where you're at so you can know where you need to be mm. the thing is that too many people don't do this work simple things right like I know. There are police officers, and you know police officers aren't the healthiest right. population, right? Our insurance is, objectively speaking, great. You can go to the doctor all the time. All the time. No co-pays, minimum co-pays. You can see specialists, whatever you want. And they don't get physicals for years. I'm like, how? Like, in what world? Like, there's people out there right now who can't even, you know, who, who don't have health care and, and are struggling with hundreds of dollars of medication and you have access to it, and you're just like, Poof. once again, it's just all about what you care about. Mm -hmm. If you're health conscious like I am, I mean, I use it. I mean, the insurance companies are paying out for me because right. if I see one thing wrong, I'm going to dermatologist. <laughs> I tell my wife all the time. She's like, oh, my, the, the other day, she's like, oh, I have this little pain in my, like, under my lung or whatever. I was like, oh, is that COVID? You just got a physical. I was like, I, was, I swear to God. And I, was like, I was like, listen, if you feel that pain at all, again, I'll come home from work, you go to the doctor. Like, right. that's why we have insurance. Like, right. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. You gotta start. You, gotta, you can't get better unless you track where you're at from the beginning, right? But your health is the same thing as anything else. It's data. There's numbers. There's an equation. Your testosterone is a level. Mm -hmm. Your health is a level. The amount of eat, the amount of calories you intake a day. There's an exact number to that. It's all quantitative. It's there for you. Yeah. People don't use the, their own data to solve their own problems. And if anything in life, business school taught me. It's like there's data out there, the same way you can, you can get into data with policing and who they're targeting and who and where the numbers are and the, you know, mass incarceration, right? There are numbers behind all these things and people come up with an answer. Hey, something's fucking not right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. You can look at your life, look at what you're intaking, look at your calories, look at, you know, how much you're sleeping, what you could, it's all numbers and you see the equation and you, you there's an answer. And people don't take the time to get to that answer. See what I'm saying? So it's like, once you become clear about your vision, it's almost like, I had an epiphany at some point. I really don't know when I got like this. But it's like, there's clear answers to a lot of things in life. And if you focus on what you can control, if you can't control it, uh, then then we don't even have to talk about it because it's not, it's, not, it's not your decision. Right. But if it's something that you can control, literally in your control, there's no... There's, there's nothing that you can't do for the people who are privileged enough to have access like me and you have, right? Some people do have, you know, things that block them, but I'm talking about people similarly situated to us. Right. Able-bodied. Able-bodied. There right. you go. You can figure it out. It's all about, once again, discipline, figuring out your action plan, yeah. and consistency. Right. You'll get wherever you want to be, whether it's health-wise, whether it's career-wise. I mean, I've been watching your podcast now for a couple of, you know, since you started it. And I'm just like, wow, it's amazing how he started this whole business kind of aspect and how he's doing these interviews and the people he's interviewing are so engaging. And I'm just like, this is super cool. Yeah. Charlie, not Charles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, once again, it's a thought. You put a plan of action together. Mm -hmm. And now we're sitting here together having this amazing conversation and there's a bottle of champagne right there that's right that we, we haven't cracked yet <laughs> we should pop it yeah i know i went on a, on a rant right there but i mean i'm just saying like it's one of those things where there's data use the data come up with a solution right and there's outcomes yeah business school taught me that i mean 
I had this plan before, but now I'm like, wait a second, there's numbers here. Look mm-hmm. at the numbers. What do the numbers tell us? Of course, it's not definitive. There's qualitative factors that apply as well. But, I mean, you can hit it with a 95% rate of accuracy and right. accomplish whatever you want to do. Right, right. Yeah, man. You know, I would imagine that with bodybuilding, um, there's a lot of uh, focusing on heavy lifting, obviously, on sprinting to, to make sure that you cut fat right away as opposed to, like, marathons. Um, do you find that uh, that is sustainable in the long run? Like, working out the way that you're working out at that intensity obviously you switch depending if you're on the off season or not but like like, do you really think that's sustainable as opposed to like other kind of workouts such as like running for longer periods and you know uh not you know not working not putting so much weight on your body uh you know going forward what what are your views on that so my views on that although you're only as old as you think you do have an actual age, right? And we have to pay attention to that. And so we see that people who start training earlier and are in shape and can maintain it can do it for a much longer duration. Mm. Right? Like there are elite bodybuilders, um, Dexter Jackson, he's over 50 and still placing in the top five, top two actually a year ago at the Olympia. And and not just because of, you know, who he is, but because he's actually in better shape than the other guys. Right. right? So... Once again, of course, they take a lot of stuff and things of that nature. But just in general, if you stay in shape from an early age, you can sustain. Your body is accustomed to sustaining that level of trauma for longer. So, I mean, it kind of really just equation of you have to know where you're at and adjust accordingly. Because, you know, I plan on training. When you're younger, you can do all the power stuff and things like that. And, of course, you know, I don't. At my level now, I do train heavy, but I train smart. Like, for example, I don't do one rep maxes anymore. It serves me no purpose, right? Like, some people just want to go in the gym and say, I can, you know, I can bench 500 pounds, mm-hmm. right? Which I, my max ever was like 425, right? And of course, it's like, okay, it's cool to say that you can get that up. What purpose does it serve? The only thing it's going to do is I might get injured, right? Right? I'm not building any muscle from that Walmart Max. I'm not doing anything. All it can create is like, okay, I can record it. I can post it. I can get some clout. People mm-hmm. can see how strong I am. Does it actually serve my body a purpose? No. I'm at risk of injuring myself and putting myself out for like three months. Right. Which is actually what I did, you know, right before in the COVID. In my, in my COVID training, I pulled my chest muscle because I benched roll five. Really? And so how did you recover from that? I just, I just trained other things. I didn't pop it like off the, you know, but I strained it. Right. Bench 405 and then I, I got it up clean and then I went for a lower weight and as I was doing the lower weight because I put so much pressure on it, I strained my chest. But have you fully recovered from that? Because I was I was walking around with a chest strain for about eight months. It, it took me, I mean, I started training seriously for my competition like four months ago. It lingered till maybe a month before that. It took a while. Wow. So... You know, we all we all are our biggest critics when it comes to. I mean, unless you have a really good coach, right? But our biggest critics when it comes to our own bodies. Uh, is there something specific? You know, I know you mentioned the waistline. Is there something specific that you would like to improve on on your body? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what so is that? I've always, once again, genetics plays a huge part. Right, of course. So genetically, I've always had really big arms, right? So like, even you know, people always think I'm in shape because my arms and my shoulders. 
they always look the same. So when I was 260, when I put on a thermal, like tight in the wintertime, I look massive. When right. I'm 220, it's the same illusion, right? But my like upper chest area right here is hard to develop for me. Mm. So I you hit that go. like twice a week. Okay. You know, and... Uh, See, these are the things that, that, that people need to focus on. Like people need to really be critical and be like, okay, this is what I need to work on double. Right, right, right. Because my workouts, you know, are specific to me. Like right. I know how many times I gotta hit. I hit my back twice a week, and I hit my upper chest twice a week because mm -hmm. it needs more stimulation to even stay, you know. And the offseason I'm gonna build right now, but it needs stimulation to keep growing. Right, right. And so, how many times a week do I train arms? Sometimes none. Like I don't, because when when you do anything that's pulling, it works out your arms, and you know all all back both back days. The secondary muscle use is my arms. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, I don't sit there and do, like, a bunch of bicep curls for what? Like, it serves me no purpose. Right, right. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen, particularly in women, pretty much build their, their bodies, right? Especially their lower bodies, right? With squats and, um, you know, and, and I, I, like, I feel that you can build your body uh, with the exception of calves. I think calves... You can build them to some extent, but if you're not genetically, you know, unfortunate when it comes to not having calves, then I think there's nothing you can do unless you get implants. I don't know. Which... <laughs> so, I mean, once again, genetics plays a part in this, right? Like, thank God, genetically, I have huge calves. And I'm thankful for yeah. that because I, I know that that's like a thing. But uh, you can build your calves to a certain extent. If you have bad calves, then, of course, it might take a little more work and you might not ever get like massive calves right, I mean, right anything can be worked on yeah no listen i'm super fortunate about my that that i build my legs honestly which is why i get upset at myself because i know where i can be physically if you know if i just chase momentum to get myself to a zone where i'm not celebrating every friday you know with a cheeseburger um and i'm really taking it serious and i'm also targeting the things that need work um i mentioned before i overdevelop my shoulders my chest my back my legs also tend to overdevelop, um, you know, but, you know, and my calves as well. My core, my forearms, I, you know, I'm not sure if it's because genetically I don't have big forearms or it's because I've never trained them like that. But that's something that I also have to focus on. You know, um, like, are your workouts, like, f would you describe your workouts as being well-rounded um, weekly? Like, you, are you targeting every muscle group? At least once a week? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, as once again, as a bodybuilder, you target your whole body, right? I, right. I look at my body, once again, as for the sport, you have to look at it as a statue. So, okay, well, what do I need to work on, right? If And you see it's an equation, right? It, and you could just rate it. If I give my arms 100, do I, there's no 101. Mm. Not even 100, 95. Everything can always be better. Right, You right. get my point. But yeah, yeah. My arms are 95, but my upper chest is 65, right? It's like, well... The equation needs to be balanced out. Yeah, so you have to. So you have to, right? So once out. again, you just target because the main objective first is to get your body into condition. Conditioning is the biggest thing. When I say conditioned, I mean a level that's like 10%. You can say 10% is conditioned, right? Because then you can see what you look like, right? When you say 10%, you're talking about 10% body fat. Correct. Good Lord. Right, so that, and that's why I say. Are you at 10%? Yeah, you're probably at 10% body fat, right? Right now, I'm lower. You're, you're at what? I mean, I just competed the other day. So, I mean, I, it went up since a week ago. <laughs> this was an intensive week of school. I definitely ate more than I was supposed to. But, uh, I mean, right now I'm probably at like 8. Yeah. 
like I could, I still have an eight pack, you know what I'm mm. saying? When I start working out, my veins still run everywhere. My skin is thin. Mm. So okay. I'm around eight right now. The day of the show, I was probably around seven. You know, but no, that needs to go down. Like for the next show, it needs to be lower. Going back to what you said before on why consistency is so important, isn't it so unfortunate that you can lose it in, you know, in half the time that it took for you to get it? You know, like all these results, if you stop going to the gym for two weeks, you know, and, and you forget, you know, and, and that endurance or um, you mentioned, what was the word that you mentioned? Not endurance, but... Uh, consistency? No, not consistency. Uh, conditioning. Conditioning, yes. You, you lose your conditioning. Right. Like, I hate that about the process. It took me four months to get in top condition, and it takes you literally three weeks to get out of it if I just ate everything I wanted to. In the off season, you're not going to be as conditioned as when you're training for a show, but your objective is just to stay in the middle ground. Mm. And, you know, a prominent bodybuilder who's going to compete in the Olympia next week, uh, his philosophy is, and I live by it too now, is that if you can't see your abs in the off season, your bulk season has gone too far. Your mm. bulking has gone too far. Because elite athletes, even if you're gaining mass, should be gaining it with clean food that you shouldn't put on an extraordinary amount of body fat. Okay. And so my goal this off-season, well, not my goal. I know, I'm, once again, we can get into the whole ain't no if in a second, but I'm going to make sure that the second that I think my I can't see my abs that much, well, then I'm going to cut back on my diet because that means I'm eating too much. Gotcha. So I'll tell my coach, hey, you know what? Listen, we're eating too many carbs here because uh, I, I'm real flat in the stomach. Like, I don't want to be like this. Gotcha. I know you've traveled a lot outside of the state for competitions, is there a particular place where you would say, wow, bodybuilding is really popular here? I mean, the place that bodybuilding is the most popular in the United States is California, L.A., uh, Muscle Beach. The town is... Why am I having a brain fart? The Gold's Gym in... Um, oh, it'll come to me in a second. Okay. The Gold's Gym in... L.A. is like the mecca of bodybuilding. Right? Really? Korea is, I mean, that's where Arnold used to train. Really? You know, all the prominent, a lot of prominent bodybuilders train there. You walk around there and it's just like everybody is. Interesting. You know, On you, top you, of you it. You go to that gym and you're humbled in two seconds. Mm. It's like, whoa. Is there a country also that comes to mind when it comes to really having like the support for bodybuilding? Because I would, I would think in the United States, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, bodybuilding, or at least the popularity of, bo of bodybuilding, has gone down a bit. You know, I think the 80s and the 90s, it was more about getting really big, and it was, like, commercialized a lot more. Uh, now it's it's a different type of aesthetic. Uh, so that's correct, right? So the United States, though, is by far still the most popular country for bodybuilding, mm. by far. In other countries, they do bodybuild, but it's not as prominent as in the U.S. Mm. And so the focus you know, in the 80s and 90s was to just be, like, as large as possible, you know? Since the introduction of men's physique, which is what I competed in only 2013, it's become, hands down, the most popular form of bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a million men's physique competitors because it's a physique that's actually attainable, right? To be Mr. Olympia in bodybuilding, you have to be, you have to eat an enormous amount of food and you have to be on an enormous amount of drugs, mm. right? You can't attain that naturally. Impossible to be Phil Heath or anybody at the top level, right, without sacrifices. And once again, he can do that because 
he is who he is. And if I could do it, I would too. <laughs> right. But 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 when you say you're you're at the top level and you know they're consuming all of whatever they're consuming, but in order for you to compete, you have to get drug tested, right? No. So they do once again. They're they. I mean, we're just talking candid here. So right. they say they drug test, right? But bodybuilding is the sport where they use all these performance enhancing drugs. So mm. any athlete at the top level is on something. Gotcha. Okay. Anybody who is an elite athlete says that they're not. It's just a lie. Mm. Like, you know, you, you, like you speak about the girls' gym in California. Um, I think it's, for me, it's very important the type of gym that I go to. Now I'm going to a gym um, where, you know, it's nice. Uh, the people are more focused on the slow twitch, right, which is just, you know, doing what they what they can to, like, stay healthy lightweight, um, but, you know, sometimes I feel like I need to be around some real muscle heads. You know, cats coming in there with Tim's, listening to Big Pun, you know, just like with chains on their necks, like ready to do damage, you know, calling you out from across the room if they see that you're, that you're, you know, slacking, you know, I, I need that kind of energy. Is that the same for you or it doesn't matter? 150%. Shit, man. Right. So I live in Chappaqua, you know, the... There's not much diversity there. Mm. There's an amazing lifetime fitness that just opened. I went to check it out. Awesome gym, state-of-the-art equipment, mm -hmm. child care. Beautiful, right? I am the most in-shape person there by far. Better than the personal trainers. I mean, once again, I know I'm, I'm at a good level for you know competing and things like that, right? Right. But when you're the best person at something, there's, no, there's nothing around you that says work harder, right? So where do I go to the gym? Extreme Fitness in Mount Vernon, mm. where guess what? I'm not the best guy there. I'm at the top. You know, I'm in the top 5%. But there are another guy who competes in physique there, competes in the Olympia, mm. right? He placed eighth last year, right? Humbles me where I, I, you know, I don't even know what my place was at the last show. In a national show, I'm not, I'm not at that level yet. Right? right. There's other guys that compete in shows as well. Other pros working hard, training hard, you know, Lifting real weights. This, that's the kind of environment I have to be in in order to succeed because when you do have those days where you're not feeling your best, right? You can't go to a place where you are the best. What motivation do you have? Yeah. When I say motivation, I mean like you're there, right? So now getting to the gym is not the, the objective here, but it's not, okay, what kind of work are you going to have? That's a right. whole other conversation right. we could talk about, right? Yeah. It's like you're there for an hour. Is it the most productive hour ever or are you on your phone half the time? Yeah. You know what I mean? So no, the a hundred percent. Your environment has to be you have like just like the people you're around, right? You have to surround yourself with the people that give you energy, whether yeah. it's spiritually, mentally, academically, and health wise. In the gym, you want to be healthy? Don't hang out with people who are gonna go eat donuts right now. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Hang out with me, because when you when you you come hang out with me, I'm gonna be like, yo, we're gonna go have brunch. Oh, so that means we're gonna go get our arm pump on before we go there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're gonna do our cardio to make sure that our fat level stays, uh, you know, where we're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, man. Look, look. In my personal life, I'm all good with people, you know, not being judgmental, right? But right. when it comes to the gym, like I need cats to be judgmental. You know, saying, um, you know, that ideal kind of motivates me. You know, my first trainer, who I say I saw really good results with. Um, the dude used to verbally abuse me, bro. And, and I, I loved it. I was like, yes, give me more. Let's get it, you know? 
But let's talk about the cost of bodybuilding because a lot of folks don't understand that, it, it, you know, it's expensive to look like you. You know, we're talking about your coach. We're talking about your supplements. You're talking about food, right? Food is an expense. We're also talking about the time that you spend, you know, and obviously if you look good, you know, you want to cop the nice clothes to go to the gym. So, um, like, how much would you say, like, you spend monthly on that? Honestly, it's my biggest expense, and I love the brand Dark Sport because they're, like, all the top men's physique guys wear Dark Sport. Mm. And my wife told me if she sees another Dark Sport package come to the house, she's going to literally, like, throw it out. But that's another story. <laughs> but, I mean, the amount of food that I consume is, by any normal person's standard, like, insane. Um, the portions of meat that I have in each of the six meals, like, now in the off-season, is going to be about eight. Eight ounces per meal. Wow. So, like, she'll cook. Like, it looks like a feast. And the food is gone in a day and a half. And then she'll be like, where's all the food from yesterday? Like, you know I had to eat all that food. Or, or I'll eat all the food or pack it all. And then she won't have any food for lunch. Mm. And But the night before, it looks like we cooked a feast. You know? So, I mean, we spend, I don't know. I would literally say, like, anywhere from two, $300 a week on food. Maybe more. Wow. And how much time do you spend meal prepping? Like, do you take a certain day, like Sunday afternoon, and spend some time? See, the thing is, I can only meal prep for like two or three days because if the food sits in the fridge any longer than that, right. then I don't, I don't consider it fresh. Right? It could be there longer, but like, I don't want to eat food on Friday that I cooked on Sunday. You know, mm-hmm. because it's just one of those things where if food is all you have to, if the food you're eating is all you have to get you through the week. It's like you want that to be good at least, right? I don't want to be eating like, you know, dry chicken on Friday that I made on Sunday. So I usually, on Sundays, it's definitely meal prep day. But that'll just last for like two or three days. Mm. And then again, midweek, I'm again doing a meal prep. There you go, brother. This is for you right here. Congratulations. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. On your MBA, man. (laughs) On everything, brother. On competing, on just doing what you do on a daily basis, brother. I appreciate it, man. It feels like uh, like I told you before, earlier. It's like a surreal day for me, just because. Cheers. Cheers. It's like the perfect time to finally get out of that grind dungeon, and just kind of back to normal life a little bit, where I can focus on my family more. Right. Like uh, you know, I told you the story about my father earlier, and you know, I thought about my kids this morning when I woke up. You know, they both jumped on me, and it was just this awesome feeling of, like, ah, like, I'm going to be here as much as possible now, because, Mm. like, you're the two that mean, and my wife, of course, right? but, you know, raising them, and my son Adonis now is getting so smart, and we have to teach him lessons now, because he's learning how to share and all these things Mm. and values that, it's it's so, it's a crazy feeling just being a part of that, you know, I'm just, like, wholeheartedly excited to get back to that right now. Yeah, man. It's my main focus always, but... I was focusing on myself for a time period to get through it. Now it's like focused on the family. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And listen, and I appreciate you coming through, man. I know you could have been spending your time with family. Um, yeah, no, man. But, you know, I appreciate it, man. And, um, you know, and I'm sure they're looking at you and not only you, but their mother. And they're seeing them because I saw you, you know, I saw what you were doing this morning with the, with the cardio. And, and she was also doing some cardio, some intense cardio. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they're growing up and they're seeing this and they're like, okay, 
I'm, I'm seeing discipline there. I'm seeing this this desire to be better. You know. I mean, honestly, it's just it's just uh, a habit I want them to pick up. Also, fitness too, right? I just want them to always be around it. So it's like, if they only know one thing, they're never gonna know anything else, right? They're, right. they're not gonna be like, oh, well, what about they're learning in school, but at home, what they learn at home is right. obviously what sticks. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll he'll always know, even if they're into sports. You know, I'm just like you. I'm not gonna. Of course, I'm an athlete. I'm not pushing anything on them. I'm gonna see what they're good at. And just invest in that, right? Because every child is different. Every yeah. mind is different. I don't want my right. son to be exactly like me. Right. He can pick up some traits, right? But be your own person. Right. I'm just going to foster whatever growth is there. Right. Yeah. Know? Yeah, for sure. For so sure. My uh, sons, uh, plural. I know your sons. Um, yeah, man. You know, I want to go back before, you know, I know, I know you have to. You protect the streets of the NY very, very soon. Protect my office. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to just to go back to like gaining momentum, right? As far as going into the gym, um, motivation is very important. Um, why do you do it? You know, I I know you you've spoken. Maybe you've answered this already, but people go to the gym for many different reasons. Whether it's to feel good, to look good, um, you know, but when I was young, I, I, w I would go to the gym for the purposes of looking ripped, right? Now I'm focusing more on my health, uh, you know, wanting to live a longer life. Is, is that the same for you? Um, to be honest with you, I think about that stuff, but that's not the reason why I do it. Uh, the gym has always been like my sanctuary, mm. like I said, for anything. If I'm happy, mad, sad, if I feel accomplished, or if I feel like I lost something, I'm still going to the gym because it's just a mental sanctuary where I can work through my thoughts and feel good about myself like mm. the, the weights you know there's always like these buzz expressions right like the weights never lie to you right like 10 pounds is 10 pounds you know 100 225 is 225 right and it's like it's one of those things where it's like no matter what's shifting in your life the gym is always consistent mm. and so you know i feel that if you're able to to grow in every area of your life and the areas to me are like mentally, spiritually, and physically, right? You have these three, these three pillars. And the thing is, you can't just, there's certain periods where you have to focus on all of them. The physical one for me has always just been important because my dad was a bodybuilder as well. Really? Yeah. And so, same thing. He used to, I want to tell you a quick story. So, the getting shit done mentality that I have, my father had the exact same thing. So, we could talk about, you know the racist, the racism that went on in the NYPD in, like, the 70s, right? But he was, like, the only black cop in his command, and he worked out, and he had to be on the midnight shift, and none of the other guys worked out. He would make noise at 2 a.m. because the weights were clanking, and so what they did was they cut the power on him, so now the gym is dark, right? My dad's bigger than everybody, you know what I'm saying? So what happens? He's like, okay. You guys want to do that? Fine. I can't control that because he doesn't have access to the switches or whatever, the switchboard. Next day, he brings candles to work, mm. right? Goes in the gym, lights it up, clank, 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 right? Then, whoever the person who had the issue with it was, which was another police officer, not even a supervisor, another police officer, he had an issue with it, right? He had the balls to go challenge my dad and say, yo... Listen, we cut the lights for a reason, blah, blah, blah. What happens? They get into a fight in the back of the precinct, right? 
And I don't, I don't have to explain to you the end goal, but it wasn't good for the other guy. You know, a bunch of guys had to jump in. Blah, blah, blah. But this is what you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. When the work has to get done, it has to get done. And so in my head, the gym has just always been like a, you know, in my life, no matter what I'm doing, academically, spiritually, you know, it's, the gym is, for me is just like a staple of hard work and consistency. You know, I always want to be healthy. I always want to look good. I always want to feel good. Mm-hmm. And so... The competitions are just for, once again, that's just like icing on the cake, you know? Oh, I'm in super conditioned shape, and I look good, and I'm, I can compete, and yeah, this is cool, you know what I'm saying? But to me, it's it's not about it's not about the end result, right? Like, I don't, I'm not joking, I don't even know what I placed in the, in the national show last week. Like, in the 35 and over class, I came in fifth. In the overall, I came in over tenth, right? And I was still happy with my result. You wonder mm-hmm. why? Because I did what I said I was going to do. Right. And I was as best as I could be that day. Mm. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So to me, it's more about the journey and just what it instills in me in my life. Right? Like, I'm not a professional bodybuilder. Yeah. I'm a, a hardcore fitness enthusiast, right? But I have a family. I have a job. I have an MBA that I just completed. There are much more impor- important things, objectively speaking, than a bodybuilding competition, right? So a lot of those other guys, that's all they have, you know? And that's why it gets such a bad stigma, because all they do is, like, work out, work out, work out their whole entire life. It's like, okay, what substance do you have? Well, I'm just working out. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And people, when they see me, they think that, too. And that's why it's funny, because most people know who I am and, like, know my background. They're like, holy shit. I would have never guessed. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, that's fine. You don't have to guess. As long as I know what I'm doing and right. I know where I'm going, that's right. all that matters. Right, right. Right? What The image you portray on social media is one thing. You know, people portray all sorts of images. Is that the real world? Is that real life? To some it is, to some it's not. Mm. Right? So to me, it's just about choosing your lane and like what it is you want to remain consistent. To me, fitness is that staple. Right. You know, so like, I'm going to be in the gym till till I drop. Word. Yeah, man. My dad was in the gym till he dropped. Prostate cancer and all, 74 years old. He was still going to the gym with my mom, you know, six months before Mm. he passed. Walking, walking on the treadmill. Look at that. I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out doing something I love. But yeah. That's what I'm going to do, too. Yeah. What doesn't get spoken about a lot is how it, going to the gym, not only, you know, makes you feel good, uh, makes you look good, but it it helps you in how you treat others, right? Obviously, we're we're not considering certain substances that people may be using that makes them a bit more hostile, but overall, going to the gym, exercising, um, you know, you know, gets you in a more calm space. You know, whenever I go to the gym, I'm a lot more chilled. I'm a lot more patient with people. I'm, I'm not as, as triggered. Um, you know, I kind of release most of my stress at the gym so that I don't project that, that stress onto others. Is that the same experience for you? Some people say, well, maybe that hostility, that aggressiveness, that, that, tone that you take on yourself that you that you impose on yourself while you're working out you go out and you actually become that aggressive person right and and for me it's not the case for me it's not the case so no what you're saying i agree with it makes me treat people better uh i'm in a way better mood you know i'm much more calm and this is 90% of the time when I'm not training for a competition right, right now, right? right? If I'm in competition mode... And you're low on carbs... Then no. Forget about it. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Like, literally, like, I mean, I don't have to tell you how many people have called me a brute in the last, you know, two months. I mean, like, it's literally... My wife was like, I have to have a conversation with you, but I'm going to have it with you on Sunday 
after it's, it was an important one too. After the after you're back to normal because I need you to, I can't have you being on your brute. Right, right, right. Like, I understand. So wait till Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because right now, just just say, leave me alone. But just like don't. It's it's almost like okay. So you want to have an important conversation when I'm when I'm hungry, like I'm hungry right now. Like my response is going to be very emotional. Uh, so let's think this through um, and give me some time. You know where I'm in a different state. Right. My response, like when I'm when I'm in competition mode, like last month, I'm just very like cold right you know? right like right. really honest a little bit rude i don't mean to be but once again it's just no like i get it i get it sleep no one sleep yeah you're you're just irritable uh because you're not you know you're not doing the things that you would normally do Correct. that bring you pleasure right yeah. it's great that uh that you have such a supportive system at home i just want to say man thank you for being here brother you know before we leave are you able to share with us uh anyone dead or alive whose life inspired you. I know your father really inspired the way you move in this life. You know, if, if, if you want to add to that list. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there could be a few people. There's a, there's a bunch of people that are a part of my support system that I would definitely call out. I mean, my wife being the first one, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I would not be, you know, I wouldn't be here two master's degrees and five competitions later if it wasn't for her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, talk about before her, I was just a cop. You know, not that it's a bad thing, but I mean, that's, that was my status, you know, mm-hmm. and after her, I'm, you know, when I met her, she was getting her graduate degree mm-hmm. that also started my, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should improve myself professionally, like, and get a master's degree. So I'm just more, you know, just increase my ability to think critically, you know, mm-hmm. if, if anything at all. Right. Right. So she sparked that too. So, I mean, she's definitely number one. My father's, you know, he's always given me life throughout my life. You know, my brother Keith, he's like a rock in my life. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm down and out, even, you know, the toughest people are always down. It doesn't matter who you are. You need yeah, people behind you to support you, right? So he's always there when I have these breakdowns or whatever the case is, and he puts me right back on my feet. Mm-hmm. gives me the motivation I need to, to move on. And, um, you know, my mother is obviously, she's super supportive. She helps out in the house now. She takes care of my youngest son, Maverick. You know, she... I come home and I could, you know, when I get home at night, I could be ready in like five seconds because, the, you know, the clothes are washed and things are where they're supposed to be and whatnot. And I, you know, I try to repay her wherever I can. I bought her the new iPhone 12, the new <laughs> iPad. Like, I'm like, listen, whatever you need, let me know because I, my life can't exist without you right now. You know? Right. The ease of it, you know? Right. And so, um, just my family, honestly. And then there's, there's other people that inspire me, you know, professionally and things like that. But I mean, we can go into that forever, but yeah, my family's the biggest one. My brother. Also, the reason I do everything, right? Like I think about my sons, and I'm just like, man. Yeah. yeah I'm doing this for me because I, I I'm just this person. But I mean, when I think about the opportunity, right, that a lot of people who look like us don't have, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking about what gates can I open up for you, right? Like, why can't I have you know, thirty million dollars so that when you say when you're 18, I want to start this company and I have these amazing ideas and blah blah blah, like a lot of other people can do. So okay, here you go. I want to be able to do that for my son. Right. Like, well, he doesn't have to, everybody doesn't have to, people think that everybody has to struggle to get somewhere amazing. Everybody, everybody loves the story of, I started from the bottom and got to the top. It's like, yeah, but you know what, the life of just being at the top and staying at the top is great right. too. Right, yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Or, yeah. or you know, giving back yeah. is amazing, right? Like, why can't people like us 
have the opportunity to give back more. That's what I want to get into also, right? Like, I mean, there's so much to do in life that, you know, I thank a lot of people. I thank you for having me here. <laughs> I thank you for having me here to, to be able to voice my, my, my mind and what I think about life. <laughs> Bro, man. Well, this was fun. And just, to, and just to go back to what you said about just giving back, you know, especially giving back to your family. Uh, you know, my, my friend Vernon, he was on the show last time. He talked about his father giving him freedom papers. Pretty much the freedom to be who he is without any constraint, physical, you know, uh, mental constraint, encouraging him to, to do what he wants to do in this life, even if that runs against what other people's perceptions of that person, of, of you are, you know, and, um, and I thought that was also pr- pretty powerful, especially as an African-American, uh, you know, descendant of slaves. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you. You're one of the brothers that really, truly motivate me, which is why I really wanted to sit down and, and chop it up with you. Um, where can folks find you? Oh, you can find me at the kid eight at the kid underscore underscore. There's an underscore there. There's an underscore <laughs> at the kid underscore AP on Instagram. You can find me there. Okay. You're not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. No. Okay. I actually try to limit my social media. You know, I, I want to put out more fitness content, but mm-hmm. I don't want to get, like, consumed by it, right? There's a fine balance there because when you get consumed in social media, you kind of become consumed in something that is just what I like to call not real. Not real. And you don't know, like, the algorithms are, are changing yeah. almost every day, and you don't know how that's going to affect you. So for you to be putting all your time and effort in that, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's a smart person out there that has the answer for that. Absolutely. Like, I want to be amazing in the... the in real life. Exactly. Like, <laughs> the areas that I navigate and that I am and the people that I know, right? Like, I, the people that physically come in contact with me and text me and, you know, catch up with me and want to see how I'm doing. Like, I want to be awesome and present to them. You right. Know what I'm yeah. It's like a course. balance. It's like a balance. For real, brother. Strike with that. Cool. Well, thank you for all you do, my brother. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come check me, man. Para siempre. Para siempre, brother. Appreciate it. Love Peace. You. Love you too.